A statement from the Ruthless Corporation. It has come to our attention that competitors in the news media are undergoing difficult personnel challenges. We here at the Ruthless Variety Program would like to clarify our position on creating a collegial and collaborative workplace environment. Our human resources and legal departments have approved the following statement for release. Quote, Our staff prides itself on being neither collegial nor cooperative. Sobriety, even temperament, are strictly frowned upon. No one should be proud to work here. In fact, Ruthless really is perfect. Thank you for your time and attention to this matter. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children, this the last... Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program. It's an action-packed show today. Uh, a very forceful statement from our corporate overlords. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for the folks who haven't been following the Washington Post saga, the other day, a bunch of their journalists, all at once, when, when, when the executive editor or someone put out this statement, all the reporters start sending out these tweets where they're like, I enjoy working. I am in a so proud. I am very proud. No institution is perfect. I work with fun humans. Like one literally said, I work with fun humans. All, 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 all basically just their way of spinning out of this disaster that they're in with Felicia and, and, and Taylor and Taylor Lorenz, you know, in this just public food fight that's been happening over the Internet for what seems like a week at this point. It's very hard to watch. We, anyway, we talked about it more uh, on Megyn Kelly's show. Quick shout out to Megyn Kelly. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Uh, wonderful, wonderful to always go it on. It was Megyn a good Kelly. time. Yeah. It was a good time as it always is. We're going to cover a bit more of that today along with a whole host of other things. Uh, first of all, we should announce the former acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, is on the program today. What a whale of a guy. And, and the interview was awesome. He came in person to do it. And I made a point to congratulate him on the name Chad Wolf, which is, uh, I, I told him, it's the hardest name in the game since Dick Army. I mean, like that must be an awesome name to drop. Very alpha. Very alpha. It is. It's an incredible interview. You're going to want to hear it because it, it covers important topics, but he also has got a good sense of humor, and you can hear a whole host of the things that, that he had to deal with in the Trump administration. We also have a sponsor today, Common Sense Leadership Fund. Uh, they're sounding the alarm on these two antitrust bills that are working their way through the Senate right now. Uh, in particular, the fact that uh, these bills would allow a quote-unquote safety provision um, to let you know platforms basically censor conservatives. Uh, very important stuff. Uh, I'm talking to the tech reporter from Breitbart, Alan Bakari, later uh, in the episode about that. We told you we would have an announcement on our live event in Minnesota. Well, here it is. Uh, it is the Ruthless Live on Lake Minnetonka on June 29th. It is at 7 o'clock. Uh, doors open at 6.30. If you want tickets to this outfit, and I got to tell you, this is going to go yeah. super fast. It's being sponsored by the Center for uh, Center of the American Experiment, a, a, a Minnesota conservative think tank. These guys are great. They put on a ton of awesome events over the years. They're totally good people. We're super excited to be partnering with them. Uh, if you want tickets to it, it's AmericanExperiment.org backslash events. 
it's uh, the the page is up now. The tickets go live at 11 a.m. Eastern today. Yeah, and, and I think that's the most fair way to do it. Is you know a lot of folks listen to us first thing in the morning. Congrats, you guys get to beat everyone who listens to us later in the day. But it's 11 a.m. Uh, you know every event has a way of being completely sold out. So. I mean, hop on it. Hop yeah, on I mean, it. this one's gonna go really, really fast. So, like, don't don't delay. If you're hearing this, press pause. Go to the website, get it. Uh, anyway, that's gonna be a blast. More on that in episodes to come. Uh, we got a few things that we want to start the show with today. There's one very serious thing that we've talked about a little bit over, I, I guess, the last year and a half, mm-hmm. because the libs are just out of control when it comes to the judiciary in general but our Supreme Court specifically. And this rumored decision on Roe has put them into absolute overdrive. There's been a real problem with security of judges Mm -hmm. throughout the country. We're hearing a lot about it. It's actually a scary thing, and and I think Congress needs to fix this like immediately to make sure these people have more protection. To that end, uh, a man, a California man in his mid-20s was arrested outside of Kavanaugh's home Last night, uh, the man reportedly had a gun, a knife, and pepper spray and told authorities he was there to kill Kavanaugh. Um, Two people familiar with the investigation said the initial evidence indicates the man was angry about the leaked draft of an opinion by the Supreme Court signaling the court prepared to overturn Roe. That's according to MSN. Guys, that's... This is... I mean, this is a man... uh, a very very good man who I know personally, but also he's got a young family. I mean, this this, this is Kavanaugh. scary as it gets. And, and this is the thing is it, we've said it on the show that this was honestly this is part of the plan of these left wing groups. What they did is this decision gets leaked, and they leaked it specifically to give them time yeah, to, to organize intimidate. and mobilize mobs. Yeah. So you have these uh, left wing dark money groups like Ruth sent us demand justice. Who their first first order of business was, let's send mobs, angry mobs, to the homes of justices. Ruth sent us uh, multiple times now published Justice Kavanaugh's home address multiple times on the internet. And this gentleman, when 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 he was being interviewed by the authority, said, "I found his address on the internet." I mean, yeah, this is this sick. it's a very direct connection because the purpose of these left wing groups is they want to intimidate. These justices, and they let, want them scared for their lives. Listen, let's not forget what Chuck Schumer said, uh, and I, we've got audio of that here. Let's replay that. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you. Man, oh man. Th- I mean, this guy's unbelievable. It's a direct line. He says it himself. He, you know, he says, I want you to hear Kavanaugh, and, and he makes a direct threat. You will reap this, the whirlwind. This is this is <laughs> Schumer's words being put into action, and he has direct responsibility for, for all of this. And one of the things we're going to talk about here is this bizarre January 6th hearing, but, but the premise behind the January 6th stuff itself, this whole investigation and the sham that they're all going through, is that the president was responsible in rhetorical fashion of inspiring sort of mob justice. Mm-hmm. If that is a case, what the hell is this? Right. They already had an impeachment hearing for President Trump 
saying that, oh, his words incited these actions. Well, what do you think happened? With this guy outside of Kavanaugh's house, he was armed and and uh, the reports also said he had like a, a bunch of like ties and stuff that he was planning to tie up Kavanaugh's family and possibly even Jeez. kidnap. Him. I mean, this this is this it's is nuts. There's just one other thing I want to read here from the Washington Times uh, because you had mentioned earlier this group Ruth sent us. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, this is from you know about a month ago. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on Thursday declined to denounce a plan by pro-abortion activists to protest Supreme Court justices' homes and church services over a ruling that could overturn legalized abortion. Saki also described the protests as having taken place at the Supreme Court as, quote, peaceful. The remarks come after an activist group, Ruth Sent Us, urged people to protest inside Catholic churches on Sunday and published a map allegedly detailing Supreme Court justices' addresses for the demonstration next week. What a coward. Saki said, like, oh, so this you know, White they're House, very passionate. Right. They, they have it's, okay this. The it's Biden not just Schumer. This. It's not just Schumer. It's the entire Correct. White House is now culpable in this as well. 100%. And, and another thing you notice is that you had all these White House comms people who were on Twitter fighting before they put out any sort of a statement denouncing the actions of this individual. They're out there fighting. I mean that's what that's what matters to them. They 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 the, uh, we, we we discussed this on the previous episode of where there's this image that existed of this is a moderate administration. This is a radical administration. Radical. They're being pushed by the furthest left elements there. Uh, Jen Psaki herself worked for Demand Justice, right. the left wing dark money group. Right. Of course she's. Of course she of couldn't. Of course she's with it. She couldn't denounce the tactics. She used to work there and got paid to do this bullshit. Bingo. You can't control it. You can't control it when you act insane. When you inspire insanity, you can't control this kind of shit. And when you're in the White House, you have more responsibility. When you're a Senate Majority Leader, you have more responsibility than that. It's not about getting applause from psychopaths. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, but I mean, think about the incentive structure. She's going to get a show on MSNBC. Yep. Now. Yep. Nobody's going to ask any questions to Chuck Schumer about this either. <laughs> right. You know he, what I mean? When they're doing their little charade of, a, of an event for January 6th, they are not going to discuss how they inspired this individual to commit an act of domestic terrorism because that's what this is. This was a political assassination this individual wanted to carry out at the behest of, of Chuck Schumer saying you will reap the whirlwind. Those, those words inspire. And they inspired this radicalized individual. And, and, and if Chuck Schumer needs to be held accountable. They don't need to worry about the sham hearing, which Americans absolutely don't care about. But Chuck Schumer needs to be held accountable. It's because in their mind— that if, if you are left-wing, then you're absolved of every other wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember the story of these two Ivy Leaguers who were basically performing acts of terrorism I in remember. New York? I remember. It, did you guys see what happened to them? These, these are people, remember last uh, two summers ago, all the fires, all of the all of the oh, yeah. mayhem. They, had mo- they were making Molotovs. They were making Molotov cocktails, handing them out. And do you know what happened to them when they came? When it came time for uh, everybody, all the, all the poor people were getting rung up by the cops and sent off to jail. They got a plea deal. Oh, Jesus! I'm not surprised at all. We still don't know what's happened with Polly P and in San Fran with the uh, DUI. Yeah, either, Pelosi's right? husband. Well, we, yeah, Pelosi's husband. No, we don't. I mean, we only know about this because the Washington Free Beacon reported on it. Justice for conservatives. I mean, and just as an aside, you know, I mean, we 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 actually have it on the show talked about the arrest of what's his name uh the the the, the dude in the trump administration who who uh navarro, was right? Peter, navarro yeah, yeah right right and and like look i'm an article one guy who believes that when you're subpoenaed you ought to show and and that that applies across the board so i'm not excusing any of that but it's funny how 
it's only enforced against conservatives. Right. Not for Eric Holder. Not right. not for Michael Avenatti, who lied to the Senate Judiciary Committee with his unbelievable story of multiple rape gang rapes. Right. Which was all proven to be complete fiction. Yeah. This is that Swetnick thing. Yeah, Julie Swetnick. And and she was put on primetime television. It's and, all fake. And for those of you who don't remember, the, the chairman at the time, Chuck Grassley, they actually referred his case is contempt of, of of Congress to the Department of Justice. Right. Where the fuck is that? Right. Well, at least he's going to be going to jail or is in jail. I can't remember. He had some whole other thing where he tried to extort oh, is he Nike. Oh, Nike. Yeah, but like else. here's the thing. Okay, so he it, it eventually, you know, karma got back on him. Uh, James Clapper is on fucking television still, yeah, even though he, him. he's he's an unrepented liar and, and, and a person who, who uh, was... Uh, um, Contempt of Congress, right? Yeah. And Eric Holder. Yep. Nothing happened to them. Nothing happened to them. I, I, I like those are the questions when we get a Republican House that I need to yes. understand. Yes. All right. So uh, we started the show uh, with a little ditty uh, taking off in the Washington Post's continued nightmare about their staffing. Guys, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, Washington Post Sally Busby, she kind of runs the joint over there, sent out a dear colleague letter. Uh, that says uh, it stems from a memo to the Washington Post staff reiterating newsroom values against, quote, racist or sexist behavior, unquote, and saying that we do not tolerate uh, colleagues attacking colleagues either face-to-face or online. This is according to Oliver Darcy's uh, uh, Twitter handle. Well, (laughs) as she's saying that they don't tolerate any of that, our girl, your girl, Felicia is Who's the best lighting that place on fire. Yeah. Absolutely sabotaging her colleagues left. Like anybody that comes at her. There was one woman. I didn't even remember her name. who was like, please, please stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's like, nope. Burning it down no, there too. She's been going for like nearly a week now. Right. It was like, here's the thing is like, okay. So uh newsroom values against racist or sexist behavior. Okay. Uh, Dave Weigel's retweet. You could say, all right, maybe that was sexist. Okay. Uh, attacking colleagues? She's been doing that for a week. She, she hasn't been punished at all. She's laid waste to the entire newsroom. <laughs> she, she's just holding them accountable. <laughs> she's speaking truth to power. And I mean, this is the logical conclusion of all this woke nonsense is, you know, I, I, I think um, uh, Governor DeSantis did a fantastic job showing how it's done is you just draw the line and say, I'm not going to do it any of that bullshit you can't you can't force me you can't force me to uh, adhere to this woke garbage and so when they can no longer prey upon others they're just gonna have to prey upon themselves and that's what you're seeing at the washington post right now it, it's all the guns are trained on each other inside there where she's saying oh you know if any of her co-workers are trying to be like please stop you know like <laughs> this workplace is getting very hostile well she goes after them she'll quote retweet them they, they, then they'll block her, and she'll be like, "Now I'm being silenced and blocked just because <laughs> I'm a victim here." It's amazing, absolute it's amazing. suicide bomber. It's fantastic, but you know what? So, so the brass has absolutely no control over preventing one of their employees from basically strafing the entire newsroom, but they do have some control apparently over the rest of the newsroom, which promptly after they get this memo, put out tweets from respectable some respectable people. Yeah. That read like a hostage statements. It were yeah. hostage statements. 
It was they were all in the same words: collaborative, collegial. Yeah. Like they, I mean, if you use those two words and more than one person uses collegial and collaborative next to each other, like that's just you just copied and pasted. They're, right? they're, they're reading a statement for the camera while a gun is held to their head. <laughs> so the absolute funniest take on this whole setup uh, came from Ingenious Firebrand. Who yeah. is a minion? Yeah, great one. and very very funny guy. He he blacked out. I'm sorry, or grayed out most of the tweet, and then highlighted the letters H E L P M E. Yeah, <laughs> it's it it so like, like it's a coded message, yeah. like, like blink blink and Morse code. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it went everywhere, and so everybody... Can, can I say this? Yeah. I, I did send it to someone, and I won't say which publication they work for, um, and I won't say who they are, but I did send it to someone, and the reaction was, you think I'm dumb enough to respond on the humor of a tweet? <laughs> <laughs> this was a reporter? This was someone who, who worked somewhere. Someone, oh. someone close to the situation. Uh, someone close. People, people with knowledge of the event. People with knowledge. People with knowledge. But, you know, look, it goes on and on. You'd think that after, what is it, five days, Smug? I think it's been five days. About close to four or five days, yeah. Like, at, after five days, you would think that management of a multi-million dollar corporation, one of the beachheads for American journalism over a century old would be able to get its hands on the staff. Yeah. Right? Would be able to understand. Fuck no. Yeah. No. This is Do the you, most unhinged daycare in America. I, <laughs> I, I I mean, Holmes, I'm sure you, you identify with this, but we grew up in an era where the, the Washington Post newsroom was full of editors who were just complete raging assholes. And I you just, did not cross those people. Uh, you not even think about it. No. And I mean, wh where are they? I mean, where are they? Like, the, if 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 those people were to like step in, I feel like they could get the situation. No, they, they're going to get strafed by Felicia. Everybody's yeah, she'll get well, them. Maybe. Everybody's been cowed. Everyone has been Best cowed is, by all, the all, woke. all the adults yeah. are like at, at at they live on the fear of their work slack that the, the zoomers. Are going to accuse them of some woke well, but crime, the tweet thing. it out, and, and their career's over. Felicia and Taylor Lorenz are not Zoomers. That's a wild thing. That's the wild they're thing. They're both middle-aged, to my understanding. Gen X, right? Or Boomer? I think they're both Boomers. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, contention on Taylor's actual age. Or gr greatest generation? <laughs> possibly. Possibly. While her, while, while her age cohorts were storming Normandy, Taylor's here <laughs> going to TikTok birthday parties. Um... But, but, but it's amazing that it, <laughs> it, it, that Felicia is still not done. So, so one of these gentlemen, like we, I think we discussed him, uh, that uh, Jose Del Real, who also is a reporter at the Washington Post, tried in in like a thread, being like, "Please stop!" You know, the workplace is getting hostile. She was like, "No, you will not silence me. How dare you? You're now the target." Yeah. Pal. So he like deletes his account. <laughs> Then he, he comes back and he's like, I want everyone to know that, you know, I'm one of the I'm the only gay Mexican reporter at the Washington Post. Felicia doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit. <laughs> She's like Pride Month, Pride yeah. fuck you, yeah, motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> she drags the shit out of him. He blocks her and then she's she tweets out the screenshot that he's blocked me. She's like, So I hear the Washington Post is a collegial workplace. <laughs> Just like undermining everything that the editors have been trying to do 
to rein this in. And then uh, it says another uh, Washington Post journalist, and it was Lisa Rain. This is my favorite one. Yeah, this is my favorite one because it's like five days into this, she's rained terror on anybody who's come across her. Certainly this Lisa Rain knows exactly what she has coming, but she still tweets. Yeah, Lisa Rain replies to Felicia, says, please stop. And then Felicia says, please stop. Requesting that tweets from a colleague falsely accusing me of bullying and clout chasing be taken down. And she's like... (laughs) trained her guns on her now. It's like, now you're in the fire pit. It's incredible. What's so funny though, dude, it's such a microcosm of this just like woke, liberal left whole problem with America is like, if you actually look by like the statistics, the wisdom of crowds here, Lisa Rain, she's with the people. She's got 675 likes on that reply that just says, please stop. (laughs) On on Felicia's tweet, 17 likes. Right? Oh, so, so, so like, Lisa speaks for the people. Yep. Not, you know? Not, but, not in her world. But these woke lunatics who want to police everything people do in the newsroom and in the workplace, like, they are a very loud, very vocal minority, but they do not represent the majority of See, people. Everybody's been cowed into silence. Uh, I stand with Felicia, I think. Oh, Weigel, my God. Weigel should be fired. I love this. Uh, Jose should be fired. <laughs> Lisa <laughs> should be fired. She should. Felicia should be promoted. Yeah. Felicia should. Editor-in-chief. She should run HR. Hell right, yeah. she should just go cubicle to cubicle, getting people to pack their shit and get out of there. Handcuff just clean them, house. handcuff them, yeah. and send them on their way. <laughs> get the hell out! I love so Smug, Smug's best stuff. Yeah, is pointing out the irony of the tolerance of the left. Yeah, right. You know, and it's like if you're going to behave this way in terms of what you cover, in terms of how you see the world, in terms of your intolerance to different ideas. If you're going to get away with all that and then you hire a psychopath that represents all that, well, now it's on you. Yeah. It's, it's live by well, the now, sword, die by the sword. Now they it's have, on you. For so long, they've had a ball, especially Taylor Lorenz, of going after conservatives, doxing them, trying to make sure that they're fired so that they can't have, you know, can't provide for a family. That's been their ammo for, for close to a decade now, this kind of woke crusade that they've had going on. And now they should all have to deal with yeah. it. I love it. But I do love, I want to hit this last one because this represents what you see within the newsroom. And we mentioned this on Tuesday's program about how all the blue checks were taken sides in this deal. Yeah, worst Marvel movie in history. Yeah, (laughs) right, right, right. So Nina Zafar. So she's the senior media editor at the Washington Post. Tweeted and then deleted what I think is a far more sexist tweet than the initial one that, that rose to all of this. And it doesn't seem like anything has has come of it at all. But here's what she said. As Felicia's colleague, I'm glad she calls out misogyny instead of catering to men's fragile feelings and lack of empathy. Oh, see? Oh, look, I was right. Remember, we talked about this on the episode two episodes ago. Like, it's fine to mock men. It's fine to make jokes about men. But heaven forbid you make an you know, ill-advised retweet about, wi- about women and then you're a misogynist. What? Like, I thought jokes are jokes. Yeah, I think Felicia should fire Nina, too. But that's the best part. Yeah, yeah, Nina's, you need she to, didn't go fire Nina, I didn't ask you to chime in. You're out of here. Get out of here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a strong, independent woman. Senior. I don't need your help. I don't need it. She's You're the fired. senior media editor Unbelievable. at the Washington Post, somebody who holds those views. And unlike Dave Weigel, who retweeted a joke, there's no humor in that. No. Like, that that's a, a statement that she stands by, right? I mean, I guess she deleted also, it, so maybe she doesn't stand I, by it. But it, important, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this is especially for, you know, members of the media who listen to this program. 
Dave, it's a program. Yeah, the program. Yeah. Dave Weigel has deleted over 250 tweets since he's been placed on unpaid. Oh, I wonder leave. how that happened, Smug. I, there were so who, many questionable yeah, tweets. Who, of who his. was it that flagged those? Well, I found a bunch of very questionable <laughs> tweets. <laughs> and Smug just Smug. happened upon them. If you're not on Twitter, Twitter, Smug, Smug spent a good, what, 24 hours well, all, quote tweeting like all his worst tweets? It's the good old days. And, and, and a huge, huge thank you to all the minions who were just going through Dave's tweets of for, for the past like 15 years, finding all all these questionable tweets. The best research arm of po- in politics Seriously, is the minions. The minions, hundred percent, incredible. I, and I mean, the, he, uh, there were a ton of very questionable tweets. All came to light. They're all archived. It's all crowdsourced. It's all crowdsourced. That's what I love about it. It's like Wikipedia for just dunking on libs. There the, you go. The ruthless variety program has become the most powerful research department in the world it's yeah, so good it's something else i mean you get literally thousands of people in the dms that are like hey check this one yeah. out. check this one out check this so, one out. so he's, it's, he's so deleted it's, over it's, 250 because they would be considered very questionable so i think it's very important that folks know that felicia get him fired <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna stay on it because i don't think she's gonna stop anytime soon uh and we're gonna see what remains of the washington post on monday morning um let's take the bait a little bit So we've made a a firm policy on the Variety program ever since this idea of a a January 6th commission began. We were not going to take the bait. We were not going to talk about what the entire media was talking about because it didn't matter to Americans. And we've been proven correct. We were 100% right, more so now than ever, Yes, which is what makes this so nonsensical. We're now going to weigh in on, on this because you, you deserve to know what's happening. And I guarantee you don't know, right? Yep. Because it's not like, look, you're dealing with inflation. You're dealing with all kinds. You're trying to get the news that matters in your community. You're probably not paying attention to this cable bullshit. And that's, that's what going Dems, I, I think Dems don't care that Americans are completely indifferent to this, that Americans have actual problems, which this administration has created inflation, high gas prices, not being able to get baby formula, very basic stuff actual problems that they're dealing with and the dems recognize this you had yamish herself uh yamish alessandor a reporter say it's our job as reporters to make americans care more about this prime time right. january 6th production they're gonna they force about they're gonna force feed it to inflation. us yeah it's like in a clockwork orange where they hold the guys o- the eyelids open and force them to watch that stuff that's what they're that's trying what to it do. is <laughs> so but nobody frames up the intentions of this whole thing better than the media itself. Yeah. Right. They forgot to get the, the political talking point. Right. They're like, no, 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 we're all on board. We're all doing this. Right. Yeah. So here's what they, here's Reuters. This is the lead of Reuters. The U S Congress probe of the deadly January 6th, uh, 2021 assault on the Capitol by Donald Trump supporters trying to overturn his election defeat enters a new phase this week with hearings meant to refocus attention on the violence and those who planned it. Mm. Okay, I wonder why that is. Yeah, and it was deadly because why? I mean, the Capitol Police officer shot that lady, right? I mean, we That's know it was deadly, and we 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 know everything about January sixth that he or that this this uh, sentence uh, describes here, right? Like the violence, the people who planned it. That's really not none of all of this. We knew like January twelfth, right? And we and we were already treated to the whole second impeachment of, of Donald Trump. But when we're not through all of this. What, what I'm saying is like. The, the the point of these hearings isn't to like fix the problem of security at the Capitol. No, no, you know they, what I mean. Tell us, I'm, like, let me get through this because this is just amazing. Here's the AP. Nearly a year since its inception, the House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol 
will go public with its findings starting this week as lawmakers hope to show the American public how democracy came to the brink of disaster. Right? So so there's This two, is the Associated Press? It's the Associated Press. Unbelievable. Associated Press. But then, so both the Reuters and the AP and probably every publication that you can find out there are setting this up as this like this catastrophic moment where America has almost ceased to exist. Then the New York Times comes in and is like, and this is why, right? So the New York Times says very clearly in their story that this is all political, mm-hmm. right? That their entire thing, here's a direct quote out of, out of uh, New York Times, with their majority at stake. <laughs> Unbelievable. Democrats plan to use the six high-profile hearings to refocus voters' voters' attention on Republicans' role in the attack. And and, and, and they, they said the name of the article was January 6th hearings give Democrats a chance to recast midterm message. I like that it's totally mask off now. Mask you know? off. It's totally mask off. It's like, this is a charade. This is a stunt. But that's good because it might help the Democrats. And I, we like them. Yeah. So we'll do that. <laughs> Except the problem is, is that like if you look at any polling, not only is it not going to help the no. the Democrats, it's going to hurt them terribly. No, no, they're going to be writing op-eds here in a month where they're like, you know, it's a real shame the American people don't get it. You know, we <laughs> went through all this evidence and they're still focused on gas prices. Can you believe that? Yeah, they're Can like, we hired a TV producer. The American I mean, what's people. What's wrong with them? The American people just don't care about democracy. So, so by way of background, just to clarify, what Democrats have done and Liz Cheney mm-hmm. have right. and Adam King. But you repeat yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. What they have done is they took congressional hearings and realized that nobody was paying attention to them. It doesn't rank in the top 10 of things that people are concerning themselves with. And they decided the best way to plug through that was to create primetime. We're talking about evening hour primetime television. Production. Production of hearings. And they hired a ABC producer who who his expertise is in sensationalizing the mundane essentially right. right and so they hired this tv producer to come in and and basically produce what these things are supposed to be about so you tell me is this the role of government and he's also controversial i don't know if he's i think it was the daily mail who first broke this news but i guess he did morning shows on abc and he cut any segment that had to do with epstein Oh, so a lot like a lot. Of, he was called out in the workplace for 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 cutting that. Well, he so was also the catch and kill on the initial Epstein story. There it is. The initial Epstein story that was supposed to break the whole thing wide open. ABC had an exclusive on, if you remember. Yeah, that's right. Allegedly, this is the individual who killed it. This is what you're paying for. You're paying for this guy. This is taxpayer funded, these hearings. And it's like, you're going to turn this into what? Fucking Survivor to for, for ratings? Yeah. Like, that's what we're not, not the truth. That's not what we're interested in. We're going to help the Democrats in the midterm and we're going to produce some snazzy TV. Like, and, it, and you pay for it. And you and you pay for <laughs> it. And the American people have said loud and clear, like, we, I, we got it. We understand. We, yeah. we, we watched it. Right. Right? I mean, right. there's varying opinions. You know, I would say the vast majority of people don't think it was our finest day. No. Right? Obviously. Like, it, like that's the bottom line conclusion. I always say this about politics. Like, by the time the Democrats get around to sort of sensationalizing what their view is on Everyone's things, moved on. Everybody understood it. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, we got it. <laughs> what are you going to do about my fucking gas prices, you assholes? That's, that's what they want to know. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's why you, this is not 
it, you're not hiring these people to put a Netflix show on. You're hiring them to do something about the problems that are impacting your community because they represent your community. We've always joked about, you know, that these Democrats were raised in the period of the West Wing. And so they turned yes. politics into this drama. This is the literal manifestation of that. Yep. And like, I, I'm just shocked that you could hire a TV producer for a taxpayer funded hearing and there wouldn't be like a scandal, a scandal, and this is the a thing. scandal. There was no primetime hearing about the 13 service members who were killed. Right. Because of why do we Biden's give up the air base? Why do we give up the air base? Why, why couldn't we secure no the airfield at all? And all those Marines died because Joe Biden fucked it all up. No hearing. No hearings on, on Joe Biden day one stopping Keystone XL, crippling right. domestic American energy production, and now having to go, he's going to have to go to Saudi Arabia and yes. beg them to let's have more oil. He's already uh, 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 made it so that uh, we can, there's no longer any restriction on solar panels that U.S. taxpayer dollars are going to buy from China that are made using Uyghur slave labor. He's gotten rid of any restriction on that. He's made us completely dependent on foreign countries, especially ones that are hostile towards us, for energy no hearings about that, though. It's just unbelievable. So I got to go through this New York Times story because you guys, I mean, we got to do what we did with this Washington Post piece last week about how Biden was trying to absolve himself of any responsibility. Because if you look at this piece, what they're doing is showing you exactly what the intent. And this right. is very key. Is. Like for everyone, perk up and listen. This is going to be a really great education on how this works. 17 months after a mob of Donald J. Trump supporters stormed the Capitol with false claims of a stolen election, House Democrats plan to use a landmark set of investigative hearings beginning this week to try to refocus voters' attention on January 6th, aiming to tie Republicans directly to an unprecedented plot to undermine democracy itself. This is a news article. If you are, like, if you are, you know how they, when you click on a Netflix show, yeah. and it's like the title of the show, and then underneath, they try to put the catchiest paragraph together. Little teaser. To try to to yeah. try to get your attention, like that's what that is. Right, that's the lead of this story. Right, right. It's like it's like in a world, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's yeah. like how you would do a movie trailer. Yes, yes, exactly. One man, right. <laughs> <laughs> Thousands of supporters. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is an actual news article. This is not an opinion article. This is an actual news article, with their control of Congress hanging in the balance. Listen to that. Just think about that. That's the straight up. They just said it with their. Yeah. With the That's con what this is about. Control of Congress hanging in the balance. Democrats plan to use a made for television moments and a carefully choreographed rollout of revelations over the course of six hearings to remind the public of the magnitude of Mr. Trump's efforts to overturn the election and to persuade voters that the coming midterm elections are a chance to hold Republicans accountable for it. They have control of all of Congress and the White House. They do. Like, it's just delusional thinking. Is it? This is wish casting, you know, straight out of the West Wing. Like, they really think that they're going to give some perfect speech at some hearing and it's going to be on everybody's televisions. Everyone's going to be watching in that in that scene in the movie and everybody's changes their minds they're like the democrats are the good people and the, again the reason they have to discuss this is they don't have a record to run on 
They right. can't talk about what's happened in the nearly two years right. since that day. They have to talk about, oh, let's go, let's go back there because no one wants to talk about what the American average American's life has gone downhill since Joe Biden came into power. That it's it's a fact. You look at you look at median incomes have been stagnating. The price of gas has nearly doubled. Americans have real problems, and they can't talk about that because right. they can't run on the record because they caused it. They have to talk about something that happened two years ago in order to make a, any case at all. But really, they're just talking to their own people. Listen to this next, next paragraph. As it tries to deliver the equivalent of the Watergate hearings oh, come on. for the streaming era, the committee has brought on former president of ABC News, James Goldston, a move reported earlier by Axios to help they fit the hearings into six tight episodes running between 90 minutes and two and a half hours. Episodes. 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 Like it's a scripted drama. Like for Episodes. Television. They said it. Like I they mean, said it in the goddamn saying, thing. They're saying it. They're telling you that they're going to make this as fake as th- th- possible. This is such a serious like attack on democracy that it's going to be produced into right. six hour episodes. <laughs> I'm, ima- I'm imagining Liz Cheney up there, you know, at the dais being like, and tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are we doing here? This is absurd. Listen, let me, th- th- unless they have Denzel reading the testimony, yeah. I'm not watching. It's not compelling. <laughs> It's an uphill battle at a time when polls show that voters' attention is focused elsewhere. Uh, No shit. Namely their lives. (laughs) Including on inflation, rising coronavirus cases, and uh, record high grass prices. But but Democrats argue that the hearings will give them a platform for making a broader case about why they deserve to stay Uh, in power. This is like a desperate uh, TV show. That I had a successful pilot, got picked up for a season, but it didn't really catch on, and so they're getting really desperate and sweep sweeps week. Yeah, you know that, that's exactly <laughs> what this is. You know? Sweeps week. Someone's gonna jump the shark. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so they retained the experienced television executive to ensure that happens, and organized scores of watch parties oh my god Come across on. the country in the hopes of generating interest this and is I mean, more pathetic than than when they were going to do that whole play where they read the Mueller report <laughs> yes, this is fucking pathetic and, and that's the thing is that's the only way the, the dams are so out of touch so out of touch they think everything is a wine and cheese party, right? right. It's like Nancy Pelosi's got her two big fridges Who when is- the coronavirus hits and they're like oh what are you doing she, she's like well I've got these ice creams that are like 20 bucks a pint. That's right. how I'm getting through First this. First of all, like people people who work, like have real jobs, backbreaking labor all day and come home and want to watch TV, you think they want fucking homework? You think <laughs> they want to watch this bullshit? Of course not. <laughs> like who's going to go home and be like, you know what, guys, shh, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. Liz Cheney's talking Liz again. Liz Cheney, it's an episode of 24. A- a- Adam, Adam Schiff, respectable Adam Schiff, who's lied to us for five years, he's got a lot of important stuff to say. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do in my free time. I mean, that's the I'm not going to watch the NBA finals. I'm not going to watch baseball. I'm going to watch this fucking dog shit. You, you, Can you believe this? You, you finish your job. You go you, <laughs> you go to the grocery store. You pick up the groceries, which cost double what they should. <laughs> then you sit down at home, and, and they think, okay, Now's the time. We're go- we're gonna send the message. Americans are gonna be worried that democracy is under attack. Uh, do you guys, do you want to meet the villain? Absolutely. Here's the villain. But they are facing an onslaught from Republicans who are bent on denying, downplaying, and obfuscating the truth about what happened in their own messaging operation aimed at discrediting the inquiry. Um. 
No, the the American people are fucking over it. Over yep. it. They're over it. And also, in case you didn't notice, democracy's doing pretty good. We're having an election every Tuesday, it seems like, with these primaries. Oh, and, you know, and Georgia also, had record number of voters. Oh, the Jim Crow 2.0 didn't yeah. turn out. Jim didn't. Eagle didn't show up. Yeah, yeah, Jim Eagle wasn't there, <laughs> right? And, 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 like, even in the most cynical view, like, if you actually believed that this was an a existential threat to democracy, if that's your view, which, you know, look, there are Republicans that view that that way. But if, if that is your view, then January 6th and what happened afterwards is it a perfect example of how democracy in this country worked. Right. How the institutions that built were at, worked. Right. That it actually, there are checks and balances that were in place that worked. So, like, by their own definition of what is a horrible like transformative existential crisis to this country by their own definition, it already solved the fucking puzzle. Right. And if you wanted to like reform the electoral vote count, what law or whatever it's called. Yeah, sure. Do that. I don't know. Strengthen the security at the Capitol. I think that might be a good idea idea too, but everything else that they're going to talk about here uh, in this made for TV drama. uh, It's not about what you said. It's like, right. it's not about solving the problem. Right. They're not interested in solving it. They're about <laughs> exacerbating the problem. Yes. Because they want to indoctrinate a bunch of people into believing, and they're talking to their own people. Here, right. Because our people have already figured they out They need to motivate their people to show up in a midterm, and historically, Democrats don't show up in midterms as much. Well, it's, it's, it's especially the case when you can't like afford to put gas in your car to get to the right. goddamn polling station. Right. Anyway, let me go on. Some Democratic operatives believe the political payoff could be su- substantial. Come on. So that person has to go on the record. I want, to f- I want names. Both in energizing the party's core supporters and appealing to independent voters who may turn against Republicans based on what they see and hear. <laughs> I oh. mean, this is so insane to think that. Oh, I mean, it, it, so this they get this guy who's a founder of some communications firm, a progressive communications firm. Uh, they've been conducting focus groups with voters. And this lady uh, is a lady. I'm sorry. It's not a guy. She says that uh, both Democratic base surge voters and swing voters were motivated by increased attention on the Capitol riot. What a bunch of not. I, you know what? Whoever that is. I hope she pulls every race in the country for Democrats. Right. Yeah. I want to know what her prediction is for the final count in, yeah. the, in the House. I want how many how many seats do you think are going to flip? You going to keep the House? <laughs> but but honestly, like what they're selling to themselves basically is that American people actually don't care about their own quality of life. They don't care about the co- fact that this country has gone to shit right. in the last two years. That everything costs eight and a half percent more, if not more. The gas prices have doubled, that you have a crisis on the border, that you have a, a, a conflict overseas. That Holmes, you ha- Holmes, Holmes, these are the same communications and polling experts in the Democratic Party that a month ago told Joe Biden, just call them ultra MAGA. If you call them ultra MAGA, that'll solve the problem. Oh, that'll do it. That'll do it. And then like two weeks later, it's Joe Biden is just being misserved. He's, he's being misserved by everybody. <laughs> Underserved and overworked. <laughs> a poor old sundown. It's a real problem. Oh, it's so good. Representative Elise Stefanik. More to the villain. Let's get back to the yep. villain. Representative Elise Stefanik will oversee the effort to discredit the committee's findings, coordinating with Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, the top Republican on the Judiciary Committee. They plan to book Republican lawmakers on television to push a debunked claim 
that the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is to blame for the attack. There is fucking nobody who said this, by the way. There's nobody. What they have said about Nancy Pelosi is that she had prior warning that there was going to be violence at the Capitol, and she probably should have been more worried about that than she was. I am certainly... They have said that. I'm certainly interested in the interplay between the mayor of D.C. and the Capitol Police and Nancy Pelosi and figuring out, like... Who exactly dropped the ball here? Security at the at the Capitol might be something we want to improve, but of course that's not what they're interested in. No, they're not in. interested in that because you wouldn't want to prevent anything from happening. Right. Just, it's political. Right. We want to just want to be able to take advantage of it if it happens. This isn't about solving a problem. This right. is about a prime time right. TV <laughs> event. <laughs> Never let a good crisis go to waste. Exactly. That's what that's what this is all about. It's right. all theater. It is all theater. And here's the thing. Like you all have different views about all of this. Like, even in this room, we all have different views about January 6th and the post-election stuff and, like, what that means. I think January 6th was a pretty dark day. Like, I think that I think that sucked. I, I My view was that that was, it was shitty. I think that there were a bunch of horrible things that we could have sh- shown a light on that Democrats did in states to change election laws before right. the election that ultimately may have made a difference. Right. In the election. But all that was thrown out the window by Rudy Giuliani and the rest of the nonsense about Venezuelans voting machines and, and everything else. And it got it put into this circus that, that was able to frame legitimate concerns about election integrity into this like bonkers, like all Republicans have lost their goddamn minds. Right. Right. That's my view. Right. And Trump empowered. I mean, like you can't let Trump off the hook for that because he empire, empowered those people by hiring them. Yeah, I mean, let him in the building. He was right. greatly misserved. Well, I mean, he the was, clowns, absolutely. The, the, those clowns that were left in, in charge of this situation, like, I mean, I've said it before, is like uh, uh, in 2000, it's a perfect example of when you had Florida on the line, right? You had the Republicans. Who did they send? You know, the top flight operatives that they had. Jim Baker was on a plane. He got down there and they took care of the bit. You know, they took care of business this time. I mean. Jesus, you had Rudy Giuliani in front of a Four Seasons lawnmower yeah. place. Yeah, <laughs> with with hair dye running down his face. It, but that's the true tragedy of of like how this whole thing was framed. Right. Right. Is is that it took very legitimate concerns that hold to this day in states that don't have Republican governors and Republican legislatures, many of which took significant reforms. Some of which, on a significant bipartisan basis to make their elections much more secure than they were in November of 2020. Right. That should have been the discussion. Right. Instead, we got Rudy and the rest of it, and, and it was able to frame all of this in terms of, like, nutso stuff. Right. Right? And these guys, like, they, what they want to do by putting this hearing forward is that they want to make it a Hobson's choice for anybody who pays attention that either you're with them on the whole ball of wax that like every Republican in the world is insane. This whole thing was rigged up and they were trying to have a coup on American democracy or you were good with January 6th. Right. And just, just look, which at is the, fucking nonsense. And again, the American choice. people have gone way beyond that. Right. Complete false. Just, choice. just look at the f- way that they frame up Fox's decision to cover parts of it, but not take the whole thing live. Exactly. I mean, this thing is live streamed uh, on the internet. It's covered by every mainstream network. And Fox has made the decision to say, you know what, there's a lot of news going on, not just what happened a year and a half ago. 
and therefore we're going to cover all of it. And we can break into coverage if we need to. We can we can have packets of it the next day. There's we can certainly cover it any way that they so choose. They, I mean, they seem to know what's going on. They have the number one rated news network in the country, you know. And the difference between them and everybody else is that they're concerned about everything happening in the country. <laughs> right. And not just what Democrats want them to be concerned about. And I think that's what incenses Democrats so much. And this is the one thing they have to talk about. You know, one, like there are lots of details about this that I think would be very interesting to people to learn about. Like who was the person that decided this would happen on June the 9th? Who was the person that decided this would happen at 8 p.m. in prime time? Who was the person that reached out to each of the networks? Who was the people who were the people at the networks who said, thank you, Democrats. We want to help that, you know. Was, did an idea come from a network person? There's so much that goes on behind the scenes for for something like this, so well coordinated, so separate from what anybody in this country is talking about on a day to day basis that that we'll never know. But you can rest assured that Democrats still have a fucking codlock over the mainstream media in this country, and it's not going to do a damn thing for them this November. No, it's certainly not. It's certainly not. Back to like the original point, though, which is I don't care how you feel about January 6th. We already know what happened. We already know what happened. So much so that in yesterday's New York Times, my private conversations with Jared Kushner were in there. Right. It's already in there. Like anything that any I never even dreamed in my wildest dreams that any conversations that I would have over the phone with somebody would end up in the New York Times. But we already have all of that. Like, it's already there. And and to Duncan's point earlier, this is not about how do we prevent another attack on the Capitol. This is not about how do we stop these, like, splinter groups from, from coalescing and moving on Washington. That's not what this is about. You know, like, the, the law enforcement is already cracking down on some of those groups. We've seen this in the news. This is about politics. Mm-hmm. It is about politics. And you're watching the journos do the journo thing. You know, I, I can't figure out for the life of me why there's not somebody at some bureau anywhere other than Fox who's like, fellas, is it worth at least positing the question why it is that nobody's put this kind of time and attention to the issue of inflation in that's, this country? That's, that's exactly right. What people, what what the uh, what our audience is interested in, what most Americans are interested in, is solving the problems that are weighing on them on a day to day basis. Yeah. this doesn't do anything like that. Nothing. I mean, they might be like, okay, well, how do you how do you prevent people from running on the Capitol again? Okay, that's a worthy thing to talk about. That's not but, what this is. But that's not what this is. That's and law enforcement's already kind of solved working to solve that problem. How about we how about we solve the inflation problem? How about we solve the gas prices problem? How about we solve the border problem? The crime problem? Anything? Uh, it, They're just still living in this Trump era, dude. It's all performative politics. I mean, like. I think the Republican Party has done a good good job speaking to the issues that animate the electorate, like trying to solve uh, the problems that that people actually have around like a kitchen table. Right. Mm-hmm. And like when we had Congress, we were trying to solve problems through legislation that our voters sent us to Washington to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But like the Democrats are still in this mindset of like Donald Trump is president. And the most important thing is the way things look on camera. Right. Yeah. And like, do you remember the dramatic way that Nancy Pelosi brought like the articles of impeachment over to the Senate? You remember that dumb shit? Like this is so dumb. This is a continuation of that. You know what it is? It is. This is just theater. This is performative politics by bad actors and delivering zero for the constituency that elected them. Yeah. Which is their job. If you would think if you listen to the smart 
Dem consultants, they think this is a disaster because they're concerned that their party is talking too much about culture and not enough about the economy. That that is a huge liability for their side because everybody's con- everybody's concerned about the economy and and this is like this was a dark day in American history, but like there were a lot of dark days in American history. And it, but again, like back to my point, if you agree with their view of the world, which I do not, but if you agree that this was a perilous moment for democracy, that we barely survived and America was no longer going to be in existence had it not gone another way, the fact of the matter is the system set up by our founding fathers fucking worked. It worked. It worked. At the end of the day, it worked. So sh- shouldn't that be a part of this discussion? I saw one report that that like Liz Cheney was doing battle with some of these people she's gotten into bed with over what the final report was going to say because it was going to give recommendations. And one of the recommendations they wanted to give was doing away with the electoral yeah. college. Are you fucking kidding you me? Un- unbelievable. Like now you've seen what this is. This is, we've just painted a picture of the media is telling us through Democrats that this whole thing is about a political advantage. Mm-hmm. And their recommendations on this whole report are about a political advantage. That's it. That's it. Right. That, it's nothing to do with democracy. No, it's nothing, nothing to do with nothing, America. They, they, uh, some house member from Wyoming has nothing to do with grocery prices and gas prices. They're just one of 435 meaningless votes in the House of Representatives. <laughs> and that's the thing is, for so long she's been parroting what she's being told. She's, uh, you know, a demo whisper in her ear. This was a very, you know, historic attack on democracy. And she says, historic attack on democracy. And now we have to get rid of the Electoral College. And now we, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That's I'm from not Wyoming. The, yeah. That's not the historic. Uh... Yeah, the, the Electoral College is the thing we need to get rid of. Right. I mean. <laughs> Which, by the way, was pretty important to her father's vice presidency, I might add. I would say so. <laughs> would not have been vice president without that Electoral College. Listen, I, I think at the end of the day, you're watching the journalists talk about this months-long conspiracy and like they're, they're trying to build this up into a point where it's like a well-organized effort to under to basically act as though this is a third world country that was undermined by a bunch of sandinistas that's that's the picture they're painting but by doing that what they're going to say over the next couple of days is that by not conceding and by sowing the seeds of doubt within his own supporters that donald trump effectively galvanized and mobilized his own base against the peaceful transition of power. That's the core of their argument, right? If that is the core of their argument, what do they say about Hillary Clinton, her failure to accept the results of the 2016 election, and the three-year campaign that she, her aides, the Department of Justice, the FBI, and everyone surrounding the Democratic Party, including the corporate media did about saying Russia stole the 2016 election. Right. Is that not the same exact fucking thing? And, 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 and another point on that exact same thing. Um, I remember after the 2016 election, a public relations campaign to get the electors to deny Trump at the Electoral College vote. Do you remember that? I absolutely When remember. they were going to mobilize all these electors to decide to be faithless electors and not vote for Donald Trump? You remember that? Okay. Was that an insurrection against democracy? Uh, that wasn't the same thing. <laughs> There's no, no investigation into that, right? No. And like you get a Sussman trial 
in the middle of, of D.C., which somehow someone needs to explain who's smarter than me. Needs to explain to me how the hell this guy beat the rap. How the guy? How the guy? I lied to the feds. The guy says he says he says I I'm doing this on my own. I'm not doing this on behalf of a client. He then bills the client for the meeting. He admitted it. Why is he not in fucking prison? It makes no sense. And the campaign manager. And the campaign manager. Yes. The campaign manager then testifies that Hillary Clinton herself authorized all of it. Yes. Right? Like, we all know that from the Sussman trial. Like, all of that is out in the open. Yes. And they're going to pretend. There's been articles all over the newspaper about how the Durham investigation has been discredited by this not guilty verdict. <laughs> it's just I mean, ridiculous. are you kidding me? My lying eyes. Ridiculous. My lying eyes. I mean, look, this is nonsense, folks. It's really crazy. Part of the reason why our initial view on all of this was do not take the bait is because of this. Right. Because of what you're seeing right now. As long as we're talking about the issues that matter to the American people, it defeats insanity. Right. And that's what Republicans are doing. I hope throughout the... Look, we ought to push back every way we can, and I hope that Elise and Jordan and the rest of them do their job in that regard. But what I hope most of all is that their primary message is you guys have dedicated the entire effort of the Democratic Party in primetime television to talk about shit that happened a year and a half ago and not about anything that matters to helping the lives of your constituents. That's what I hope. Yeah, if you give a journalist that's chasing your your boss uh, and you work on Capitol Hill, your boss uh, through the hallway, uh, l- just let that journalist know he's focused or she's focused on gas prices, focused on you know helping the American people, not some distraction from a year and a half ago. Would, right. you, would you guys care for a prediction? Yeah. I predict... That more people will watch Fox News that's not covering this than they will any of the other networks. That that are. I think that's some bet. I think that's a good bet. I think, I think we can get that on Predict It. Yeah, we <laughs> should probably get that on Predict It. We should. Let's cover quickly Predict It before we get off of here because there was a bunch of elections that happened. I'll just summarize it by saying when you have like this Boudin character in San Francisco, the DA in liberal San Francisco who basically decided not to enforce crime. Yeah, DA Weather Underground, who was literally the child of terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. His parents were part of the Weather Underground and yeah. they did bombings that killed police. They, they're part of uh, the same group that bombed the U.S. Capitol. This guy essentially legalized crime in San Francisco. And this is a town that is, I think, 94% Democrat. They had a recall. They got rid of him. They've, they've had it with him. Yeah, they got rid of him. A lot of that stuff going on. L.A. had a similar mayoral election, which Karen Bass, member of Congress, was thought to win in a walk. And a former Republican businessman uh, actually put it to a runoff. I mean, there's a lot of things that are, are going well. The unfortunate part about it is like, look, it's California. California still does California things. And there's a lot of dumb stuff. But out also there, there, but. Was, there was more bad news for Dems. So in New Mexico, Mark Ronchetti won the governor Republican primary there. And Dems have been very nervous about that because he was seen as the candidate that could defeat the the incumbent, um, Lujan Grisham, and Mark Ronchetti won. So yeah, well, he, he you got, know the red wave is is, is going to be big this this he year. He got dangerously close in a Senate race two years ago, right? Which is mm-hmm. why they were so bullish on on his candidacy. But look, Democrats also have a real turnout problem, as we've been seeing. Like, there's a huge lag in all of these. Yeah. Uh, elections on the Democratic side and a huge surge on the Republican side. You see it time and again. We had this problem in 2018. 
in 2016 and 2014, Republicans had it the other way. 2010, we had it the other way. Like, this is a good precursor. Right, because, I mean, when you read these polls, they can tell you, you know, would you support a Democrat, would you support a Republican? What, what's in those crosstabs, listener, is, you know, how likely are you to turn out to vote? Yeah. You know, how, how energized are you to turn out and vote? Right. Yeah. And so those voters typically are the party out of power. Yeah. And in that case, it benefits us. Yeah, ex- exactly. Now, the one thing I'm going to just tell you all, because I promised I would do this on Twitter, is you got to watch out for some dirty tricks, too. Right. Democrats know that they're losing when they know they're losing. What they try to do is play in Republican primaries. They try to elect unelectable Republicans. You remember the Todd Aiken, the famous Todd Aiken case mm-hmm. in Missouri. Claire McCaskill was down 10 points to four different candidates right. on the ballot. You, t- you tweeted about this today. I, is it the Colorado thing? I didn't see. Colorado. I didn't, I, I'm not familiar with that. So in Colorado, there is a Democratic group that is up under a conservative guise, right? Mm-hmm. And they are, they are spending... A million dollars a week. Wow. A million dollars a week. I mean, this is real freaking money. And they're trying to prop up this guy, Ron Hanks, who has like a hundred bucks in his in his bank account. Yeah. And is it, it like, look, I don't know much about this guy. I know he's got some divisive stuff in Colorado is an incredibly purple state. What I do know is what you know that we had Ron o, or uh, Joe O'Day yeah. on this program. He's the candidate who got onto the ballot, who's raised money, who's working his ass off, who's got all this stuff. And it's clear he's got the Dems so scared, they're creating a fake super PAC to try to prop up who they think. They'll literally set money on fire for for the small chance that they can somehow beat him in the primary. Like, that's how much they fear him in the general. That's how much they fear this guy. In Colorado, if it goes on the map, they're screwed. They're screwed. They can't figure out how to defend Which is their majority. Here, and we have t- we talked about this for months, but the most important thing the Republican Party can do in these midterms is stretch that map and force the Democrats to play defense further and further in bluer and bluer areas because that allows our candidates to be, we have more pathways to the majority that way. Yep, yep. So the same thing's happening in Nevada. Yeah. Right? There's two cases. There was this group called Somos that went in against Adam Laxalt mm-hmm. in the primary. And then there's this place called Pat Patriot Freedom Fund which is a pack that's run by the husband of a Democratic assemblywoman in Nevada that is attacking Joe Lombardo on the issue of abortion. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I remember, um, Holmes, you might remember this from McConnell in 2020, but there was this Amy McGrath uh, super PAC that was set up. And they were, they were talking about how they were going to defeat McConnell, and they raised millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, you know, from small dollar donors online about how, oh, we're going to mobilize. We're going to find all these Democrats in Kentucky and somehow beat Mitch McConnell. And she got whipped by how many points? 20 points. <laughs> yeah, 20, 20 points. But you know, you want to know how they closed out that election smug? Um, they bought a bunch of text messages and tried to uh, get people to vote for the libertarian candidate. Yeah. That's wow. how they spent all that, that resistance bucks for the last two weeks of the election. They bought text messages and said, hey, uh, Mitch McConnell didn't fight hard enough for the Second Amendment. Yeah. That's what they were doing with the with wine mobs from California's millions of dollars. They spent it trying to boost a libertarian candidate. It's the same sort of shit. They do it all the time. The last example, I'm just listing these things because you got to be aware of them. They're yeah. happening everywhere and they're not all on our radar. These are just the ones we know about. But Gavin Newsom was actually boosting the Republican in that election on Tuesday to try to keep Schellenberger, the guy that you heard 
on our program to try to keep him out of the general election because he was afraid of a one-on-one with Schellenberger. Well, it worked. It worked. You know, and the guy that didn't basically run any campaign that wasn't run for him out of the Democratic governor's office got second place, right? And so, like, kiss that one goodbye. Now you've got Gavin Newsom, who's got 65, 70% of the electorate will vote for him because he's, right. you know, but against Schellenberger, he could have lost. Yeah. He could have lost. And we have we have definitely wasted a lot of opportunities to get majorities in recent, recent history because our eyes weren't open on this shit. Yeah. And you just need to know it, right? There's a full, full army of Democrat operatives who are just filthy on this stuff. Uh, I think what we should do now is go to your interview, Michael. Very important topic. Yeah. Alan Bakari. I want to welcome to the program investigative tech reporter at Breitbart News, Alam Bakari. How are you? Hi there. Great to be on the uh, on the podcast. I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm really glad we're having you on because, you know, this issue is, is a little esoteric for, for most people. Um, and I think you can obviously provide a lot of unique insight. But before we get to that, a little bit about your, your background. You're, you're at Breitbart now, um, you know, obviously writing there. And I've read a lot of your stuff. And it's fantastic. But can you tell us a little bit more about your background? I know you, you studied at Oxford at one point. Uh, yeah, that's correct. So I, uh, I'm from the UK originally. I uh, went to school at Oxford for uh, history and politics. Worked briefly in uh, in British politics uh, for uh, for liberals, believe it or not. Um, and then I moved into media in uh, in twenty in twenty fifteen. Started working for Breitbart News around then, and that was really at the very start of the uh, the tax censorship issue before most people in the conservative movement had even recognised that it was an issue. That's when uh, Breitbart started covering it. Uh, and that's the real reason I joined them, because I could see uh, this sort of this great thing that I grew up with, internet free speech being undermined and attacked. And you could see that starting in 2014 and 2015 and really escalated after 2016. So that's that's how I got started in Breitbart, uh, covering news for Breitbart, because I, because I really cared about that issue. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, you wrote a great piece. Uh, at Breitbart about these two antitrust bills um, that include language that allows tech to to basically censor voices that they disagree with uh, if they threaten quote unquote safety. Um, we've talked about this a little, little bit on the on the program previously, but can you explain uh, in a little bit more detail why you know conservatives should be worried about that word safety? <laughs> Uh, well, safety is really a, it's, it's a code word for censorship. And, you know, you look, you look at the Silicon Valley companies, their censorship departments, the departments inside Twitter and Facebook and all these companies that really uh, that are really in charge of setting censorship policies and creating new censorship policies and deciding what disinformation is or hate speeches. They're often called the trust and safety department. That is, uh, that is, that is the name of the department at Twitter and a number of other companies. So when you have these bills that, uh, that, that say they're going uh, to give third parties all these rights against app stores, which is the open app market marketplace, and allow third-party app creators to sideload their apps onto Apple, uh, it sounds great because it sounds like you can get around app store censorship. But the problem is that bill, in order to satisfy Democrats, the people who wrote that bill have created a massive loophole that still allows Apple to censor apps 
in the name of safety. Um, and obviously, you know, safety is such a broad category. It can, you know, keep safety from what? Safety from disinformation, safety from hate speech. Right, we're right because, because now we're codifying it. Now we're codifying it in federal law. It's not just a policy of these companies. Now it has the enforcement mechanism of the government. <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you what, Michael, I'm sure you know this already. I'm sure many listeners know this already, but we've seen this happen before with Section 230, where they have this, uh, they have a little language in the, in, the, in the bill in Section 230 that's very vague that says you're allowed to, uh, to censor anything you consider objectionable. And Silicon Valley goes and interprets objectionable, the word objectionable, in the broadest possible way to give them the right to censor absolutely everything. And you know they're going to look at this bill um, and do exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I have to say, I'm not opposed to tech regulation. All the momentum we have in the conservative movement in favor of reigning in the tech companies, in favor of restraining their power to censor, restraining their power over third-party ad creators. Um, you know, Breitbart News has been at the forefront of that. We've been pushing for that for all. I've been pushing for that for a long time. I support good tech regulation, like Texas's bill against censorship, which is currently being contested in the courts. But it's a it's a problem where we have all this momentum. There's a risk that that momentum on the right in favor of reigning in the tech giants gets co-opted to support bills that don't really address the censorship question. Uh, And that's a problem because momentum is a finite thing. You don't want to waste it on bills that don't address the problem you're interested in. So so that kind of brings me to my next question here. How did this safety loophole you know, basically get into the legislation. Why didn't Republicans stop it? Is it is it is it what you're saying about momentum that, you know, I mean, conservatives are concerned about these issues and censorship and things like that. And so we didn't we didn't see this coming or like, how does this end up in a bill? (laughs) So I think uh, Republicans, a lot of Republicans on the Hill are lazy and don't really understand the issue very much. So they saw this bill, which does restrain big tech in, in, in important ways. And they're thinking, well, if we can get a big tech bill passed, I can go back to my constituents and say, look, I've restrained big tech. The problem is it's not restraining big tech in the way that Republican voters want big tech to be restrained. Uh, you know, it is good for third party. It's not a bad bill. So the Open App Marketplace Act is not a bad bill. It, res- it, res- it uh, does give third party app creators more power over to get around Apple's controls. It's fine. Um, but Republican voters are not going to be interested in this aggressive censorship. Um, and I don't think Republican senators really understand that that really is the only, the main, the number one issue that Republican voters overwhelmingly care about. I don't think they push it for enough, push it, push for, um, push for directly addressing the censorship question as hard as they should. Um, And I don't think the lobbyists who support this bill push for that as hard as they should because they know that any bill that directly addresses the censorship question is not going to get past the Democrats and the Democrats control everything. From the lobbyist perspective, you know, from the people who lobby on behalf of the third parties, people who lobby on behalf of Spotify and various other apps that have an interest in uh, taking on Apple and other other companies, they don't care about censorship that much. Spotify censors its own platform. They just want a bill to restrain Apple. Right. But, um, 
It's Republican sort of, senators and Republican congressmen need to be thinking, well, what do my voters care about? It's really just censorship. Right. It, it's sort of the same thing uh, with with the media in tech, where where your sort of like corporate established media is attacking tech because the New York Times is really just mad that you know Breitbart and Ben Shapiro are on Facebook getting a lot of referral traffic, and the New York Times is not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a market share play in some in some instances here, right? Yes, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up actually, because uh, you know, well, well, you know, I'm ambivalent on this open app marketplace act. Uh, I don't think it addresses censorship. Uh, I don't think Republicans should care that much about it. But the bit, the tech regulation bill that I really dislike is something called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. And that is really, uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're shaking your head. Exactly. <laughs> who wants to preserve? Who wants to preserve and protect the discredited mainstream media? Right. We want them to. Be I can't think. I can't think of an industry that deserves to be protected less. You know, when it from competition than the journalism industry. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. I mean, I'm pretty anti big tech, but I'm anti big media even more. So, um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of the worst bills I've seen this Congress, and it's a surprise number of Republicans signed on to it, which is really, really bad. They're, you know, signing on to a bill that would force, that would allow the big media companies to get together in a cartel and, you know, collectively bargain with the tech companies for special favors, whether that's giving them revenue, giving them more ad revenue, or promoting their stuff even more. So it's a bill that would force Facebook and other big tech platforms and Google and YouTube to give more revenue to the likes of the New York Times and BuzzFeed. I don't see why any Republican would get behind that. These are the same publications that call their voters insurrectionists and terrorists for the past two years. Right, right. And also made a ton of money online by pushing the, you know, fake Russian collusion narrative for four years. They sure loved the referral traffic on all of those bullshit stories, didn't they? (laughs) Absolutely. And, um, you know, this, that bill does not protect anyone in the independent media. It does nothing for podcasters. It does nothing for people like uh, people who have Substack right. newsletters. And, you know, I want podcasters to disrupt CNN and I want Substack uh, journalists to disrupt the New York Times. So we should not be protecting the New York Times from those new uh, new uh, media. So in your conversations with people, you know, are, are there Republicans on Capitol who are skeptical about this stuff? I mean, because you got like Richard Br- Blumenthal and you got like Amy Klobuchar, you know, Democrats who, who would love to censor every Republican if they could, uh, you know, advocating for this bill, sponsors of this bill. Are there Republicans on the Hill that like, you know, are, are wary of that? Uh, which, which, just to clarify, which bill are we talking about? The App Markets Place Act or the uh, the JCPA? The JCPA. The JCPA. Yeah. So actually, the House Republicans have been quite good in this. Kevin McCarthy actually, uh, you can find uh, his interview on Breitbart about this. He did it a while back. Uh, you know, he's come out very strong against the JCPA. Uh, Mark, uh, a number of senators have as well. Uh, Jim Jordan's been very good on the JCPA. Uh, Marsha Blackburn. Um, yeah, the, 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 quite a quite a few senators and uh, and members of the House leadership have come out against it. The danger is uh, that they get enough senators that uh, that won't matter because they just need ten Republican senators, of course, and they can pass it with the Democrat majority in the House. So uh, let's, let's look at the. I'm just I'm going to pull it up and see who's co-sponsored on the Republican side. Some interesting names: John Kennedy, Lindsey. Well, Lindsey Graham. Not really that surprising. Uh, the most surprising co-sponsor is Rand Paul. 
and you also have Susan Collins and Cynthia Lummis. So they've got all these Republicans signed onto it. Uh, yeah, a bill to a bill to bail out the mainstream media, the same mainstream media that you know lies about Republicans nonstop. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, obviously, in the last election, we had a lot of issues with censorship. You know, you had the Hunter Biden laptop, which was being suppressed from the Internet by the liberal media and tech. Um, you know, if these bills become law, you know, in your estimation, you know, I know it's sort of hard to forecast this in the future. But, you know, what would be the impact on, say, the midterms or a future election? Um, well, it depends on which bills pass. Uh, the Open App Marketplace Act, I don't think it would necessarily make the problem worse. The real the real issue I have with that bill and some of the other antitrust bills is that you have all this momentum for tech, for reigning in big tech, which is good, which uh, which I think my reporting helped create that momentum and Breitbart News reporting helped create that momentum in favor of regulating big tech. And you don't want to waste all that momentum. You know, you, you know how hard it is to get stuff passed on uh, in, in D.C. You don't want to waste that momentum on bills that don't address the issue that Republican voters care about. If you want a bipartisan compromise, Republicans should go to the Democrats and say, look, our voters care about this issue, content moderation. What are we going to do about it? Um, and then, you know, let's address your issues as well. That's how you do bipartisanship. You actually look at the issues your voters care about and negotiate on that basis. You don't listen to what the lobbyists are saying. As that's my issue with the Open App Markets Police um, uh, Bill and some of the other antitrust bills. As far as the JCPA goes, that's really worrying because you'd have this big media cartel ahead of the election that can negotiate with the tech companies, not just for revenue, which is bad enough, but also these you know, wealthy companies that be getting even more money from the tech companies. But uh, there's nothing in the bill that doesn't that prevents them from negotiate, uh, negotiating for uh, higher priority in search results or uh, favoritism in the algorithms. And that's really bad because, you know, the mainstream media completely ignored the Hunter Biden story. And uh, they'll do the same for similar stories, I would imagine, in, in the future. That's why we need the independent media to be able to compete on a level playing field against them on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on all of these platforms. We don't want bills that help the mainstream media and hurt the independent media. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you're glad you're covering this. I don't feel like it's getting the attention it deserves. Look, so so, you know, you you cover tech issues constantly. Um, What haven't we discussed here that we should be looking at, you know, as as, you know, people who cover this uh, every day? Um, well, I think that there's a lot of attention on all these antitrust efforts, and a lot of that is being driven by lobbyists. But I think the most positive thing that's happened in the past two years is what's happening at the state level. Uh, you know, my favorite tech regulation bill has been Texas's. They've really done what's uh, what, what's required. They've they've uh, passed a bill that regulates the tech platforms, the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, like common carriers, and it says users of these platforms have a right of action against these companies. Uh, They can go to court and get their accounts restored if they're taken down for political reasons. That is exactly what Republicans vote. Well, that's exactly what Republicans want. Uh, It's what Texas has passed. It's currently being contested in the courts. Um, And uh, that's, I think there should be a lot more attention on that Texas bill from Republicans. 
uh, as opposed to these antitrust bills, which, you know, you, I, I personally am ambivalent on them. They don't really address the question. Well, very cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and giving us, uh, schooling us up on this, you know, because it's obviously uh, a lot more, a lot more complicated than, than most people probably think. So I really appreciate it, man. Great to be on. Thank you very much. So he's a really smart guy, you know, and obviously this issue is a little esoteric for for a lot of our listeners, but I think it's important, right? You know, I mean, like, you know, what he says is uh, in in the momentum to basically, you know, change how, you know, big tech operates, conservatives have to be eyes wide open on this stuff and make sure they don't get, you know, into these traps set by the Democrats to basically empower the government to censor conservatives yep. online. And I think it's a really important point. Yeah, 100%, 100%. totally good. All right, let's play a game. Let's play a game. Well, it's uh, it's Thursday on the Ruthless Variety program, and that can only mean one thing. King of the Hill. <laughs> Our champion, by a nose, uh, was uh, uh, Alyssa Farah. That's However. Right. Quick aside, yeah. However. The, I'd like to say. I, I, I got an amicus brief from, from there T-Rec. You go. There I got you go. I got an amicus brief from T-Rec, which was submitted this? after what the verdict this? last week. And I think it's really important, and this court uh, must hear it now. And that is... Uh, we had some evidence tampering. Evidence tampering. We had evidence evidence tampering by uh by counsel. What, what uh, by you? First of all, that is a very charged <laughs> accusation. Well, it's true because T Rex says you played a tweet last week that was outside of the window of playable tweets. We have a strict rule on this. Council. Was it outside the window of the seven days of which we recorded? Yes. Yes, yes it was. It was. I don't believe that. In it an was. egregious fashion, it was 10 days. That was absolutely, that is absolutely untrue. The facts speak for themselves. I mean. And and, and who are you to question the judge? You want me to call the bailiff in here? <laughs> what? what, what ten, 10 days in the slammer. Do you have the dates? I, I don't I don't have them in front oh. of me. I trust T-Rec. Oh, oh, okay. Well, we're just going to come totally unprepared here? I looked them up and I was ready to file, but you got the you got the facts yourself too, so. so. I mean, I had numerous, numerous individuals tweet and they're like, Here's the date on, on and, it, and it was in the words of the judge and jury. He was like, by a hair, I got to give it to Alyssa for that uh, uh, Amtrak tweet. Yeah. And that was the one that was outside that was the, the window. That was outside the window. So I think we need to vacate that victory. That is bullshit. And We're I not going to vacate I, anything. I, I think we are going to vacate it. I am judge and jury. Yeah, so whoa, 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 whoa. Order in the court. No, I object vociferously to this I think, ruling. I think the only thing that's fair is that you're allowed to play Alyssa again, but we need to play this week with Alyssa. Let's proceed. Okay, okay. So, Smug, who are you playing this week? Who else? But the Queen, Jen Rubin. Oof. So we've got Farah and Rubin. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. Let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. In the blue corner, fighting out of the embattled Washington Post, Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. And now, in the red corner, fighting from an alternate green room at CNN, and current champion of the world, Alyssa, not so sure she's a Republican, Farah. <laughs> okay, to be clear, she's not the champion, Wait, and do Duncan is the, the Supreme judge Court ruled we abide by the rulings, and that's what I'll do. <laughs> it's just a kangaroo court. You know what we should do is, anyone got a coin? We should coin flip so. for who goes first. 
Uh, I don't that, think that I, win no, has been vacated. No, no, no. no, I'm happy to go first as the champion. I'm happy to go All first. Right, go for it. The champion. It. Yeah. All the right. champions go first. Yeah. In your mind. Champion your own mind. Let's what hear it. it. Is. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. Alyssa retweets Brian Stelter. Brian Stelter has a tweet about Fox News makes it official. It will not show Thursday's 1-6 hearings like all other major networks. Tucker Carlson's show will air as usual. Carlson promotes conspiracy theories about riots. Uh, it calls the committee illegitimate, illegitimate and ridicules the committee members. Here's her quote tweet. As I predicted, period. A shame, period. The hearings are of vital public interest, even if it makes people uncomfortable. We're seeing our country further ripped apart on partisan lines and more Americans retreating to their echo chambers to avoid the tough realities. This is how democracies die. Oh, my God. So to me, that, that take is as boring, stale, that and like outrageous. microwaved as this 1-6 hearing itself. That you're, is outrageous. You're, I'm so ready for this Jen Rubin tweet. Yeah. Like, you're about to hear, this is, this is when you know you're in the presence of greatness. <laughs> This is from today, because I use tweets within the time period. Oh, burn. So from today, Jennifer Rubin. With the passing of Arizona Senator John McCain and the retirement of other Republicans with backbone, parentheses, e.g. Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, the party now consists almost entirely of timorous sheep willing to fall in line behind the MAGA base. Republicans with backbone, e.g. Senator Jeff Flake. <laughs> Might be the funniest words, craziest words. I have seen in my life. <laughs> That's nonsense. I've That's really nonsense. missed her. I've really missed her. Oh. oh, these are both really good. These are both really good first tweets. This here. is how democracies die. Well, I, I mean, I, the originality. I, I don't think anyone has ever. I don't think Jeff Flake's parents would ever say he had backbone. Like, what? this is not a take you can get anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, he's a rhino. I mean, we'll be the first. To <laughs> <laughs> Only Jen Rubin goes there. What I like about uh, Alyssa's is because it's just so dramatic. And, um, you know, they're acting like if Fox News doesn't carry it, it didn't exist. You know what I mean? Like, like the hearing is not going to happen if Fox doesn't cover it. Like, the hearing's obviously still going to happen. The way that she makes it sound is like, well, Fox News doesn't cover it. The hearing can't happen. It's not going to happen. The American people are going to be oh, deprived of it. To, I mean, that's exactly her point of view. But here, like here, the larger point of view is that the hearings are all entirely consisting of the period of time post-election when if somehow some conspiracy was put together. Do you know who's the communications director at the fucking White House at the time? Oh, uh, who? Alyssa. Uh. So, like, here's the thing. If this lady did not turn coat entirely, right, and because she wants a seat on the view, and become an apologist for for everything the Republicans have ever done, she herself would probably be subpoenaed by the January sixth committee. That's right. what I think is so amazing. That is pretty amazing. That's what I think is so amazing. Uh, Smug, can you read yours one more time? Absolutely, I would love to. With the passing of Arizona Senator John McCain and the retirement of other Republicans with backbone, e.g. Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, the party now consists almost entirely of timorous sheep willing to fall in line behind the MAGA base. And I had to uh, do a dictionary check on what timorous means, and it means showing or suffering like from timid. nervousness. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's it. Uh, you know. 
I missed. The, the I missed Jeff Flake line. I is missed just an all timer. I missed Jen Rubin. I really did. But I gotta say, Smug, I think he beat you by a little bit on this one. It's a good. It's just a solid. solid it's a tweet. solid tweet. They're both good, but Holmes wins round one. All right, pal, you're up. This is Jen Rubin yesterday within the time period of tweets that we should be allowed to use. <clears throat> it says, we can't get what we collectively want unless we have enough D's to fix our democracy. You want the right to choose gun regulations? Need more D's in House and Senate <laughs> determined to stop tyranny of minority and reflect the supermajority views of the people. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's like she's so. It's like a reply on a comment fo- forum. It's, like it's, it's, it's so out there. It's just brainworms. And that's the conservative opinion writer. Yeah. For the Washington Post, <laughs> we need more D's. <laughs> we got the House. We got the Senate. We got the White House. We need more. More. Here's my. Uh, this is a uniquely Alyssa Farah take. It's like part of her being that you know. It's a little bit Nicholsy, but like I just love what you, it's two weeks in a row. So okay. I just this is get sort of feel. like the Acela take. Smug, you hearing this? It's more like the Acela take that he played illegitimately. Mm. Oh. Okay. Well, this is from <laughs> the day we're playing. It. Uh, should I look? Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Florence, Italy. Arrow. Lugano, Switzerland. Arrow. D.C. Arrow. New York. Oh, jet setting. All this week. And then a jet. YOLO. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean. Speaking for the people. No, I mean, look, it's, 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 it is great content. Speaking for the people. It's great content. Uh, <laughs> can you read the locations again? Yeah, I sure can. Florence, Italy. Okay. Lugano, Switzerland. Oh, come on. D.C. and New York all this week. Just jet setting. All this week. All this week. <laughs> all this week. I wish this is where we I wish we yeah, had. Yeah, we have video. We have video. We're doing sort of a head nod back and forth. Like they're just, just I'm just so overwhelmed. I got so this, much going on. All this week. And then I got to go to Nobu. Oh. You know, it's like that <laughs> Kim Kardashian clip. Um, that's uh, a very good, the culture of, of Alyssa Farrow there. I like that. But... I mean, the brain worms of Jen Rubin there. I got to give it to Smug. He wins round two. All right. All right. Here's round three. Uh, this is from June 5, well within the uh, confines of any sort of objectionable content here. So many Americans are blinded by partisanship. I encourage my Georgetown students to actively, <laughs> to actively engage those they disagree with in good faith to break through dogmas ignorance of the other side and tribalism and to see others humanity my students do wish more politicians could when did she become a professor she's not that's the best part she is a fellow in the georgetown politics come on this is just like make work you think that's outrageous i have the nuke of all nukes of outrage Dude, this is from Jen Rubin today. This is after uh, a Looney Tune tried to assassinate and kill Kavanaugh. Jen Rubin. Remember former Democrat senators Claire McCaskill of Missouri, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, and Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota? They all knew their vote against Kavanaugh might cost them their seats. They opposed him anyway. That was her take. Today? Today. Today. After. After. This guy's arrested for trying to kill Kavanaugh. That's Her wild. take. That's wild. That's her take. That's wild. She's like double down. 
She's like, like Felicia. She's like Felicia. <laughs> I, I mean, bet you she's Team Felicia. It is well. I always uh, look. I mean, it's nuts. Hold There's, on. It's it's I mean, nuts, that's, but, that's but but no but, one can no one pushes the envelope that far. But the queen. but you have to. She's yes, the queen for a reason. In terms of pure brain worms, you're entirely correct. What I will submit is it equally outrageous is a submission where you claim ownership of students. No, I don't. Is that is not equally outrageous. Professor. There's no world that's equally outrageous. You can't say my <laughs> students it's if like, you're a fellow in somebody else's class. You know what it is? It's the education version of stolen valor. That's what <laughs> it is. It's like, you don't have a fucking PhD. What are you talking about, my students? It's stolen valor. <laughs> my students. My students. I know dozens of people who've been into this, and nobody calls them my, my students. students. Uh, my pupils. Um, yeah, that's incredible. But however, this this is the, the difference, I think, for me. It's like we've been doing a lot of talking about Felicia Sanmez uh, and her tirade here at the Washington Post and attacking all of her colleagues. And, you know, Holmes, you talked eloquently, I might say, uh, about... Uh, when she made the rape allegations against Kobe Bryant just mere like an hour after he, you know, died in a hor- horrific helicopter crash with his daughter. Yeah. This tweet about Kavanaugh is like the Supreme Court equivalent of that, in my opinion. It's like the guy, you know, someone gets arrested outside of Kavanaugh's house trying to kill him. And like Jen Rubin's like, no, he is that yeah. bad. You should vote against him. <laughs> like, that's incredible. And it's insane because like they already have like nine fires. <laughs> 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 And and everyone's like, like, how the no. hell does this person tweet this? Double down. <laughs> and for that reason, I'm so glad, Smug, that you played it and you deserve to win and you do win. We have the new champion, the queen. Ay, ay. All right, let's get to Chad Wolf. I want to welcome to the program somebody we've been very excited to have on. Uh, I feel like this is a long time coming. We've been a long time admirer. Is the former Secretary of Homeland Security. We're talking Chad Wolf today. Welcome to the program. Well, it's it's just great to be here. Big time fan. Listen to the show a lot. Uh, I'm I'm excited to jump into it. Listen, we, I was so gratified to hear you're actually a listener of the Variety program. Right. So I, I was talking to you earlier. Uh, wasn't able to listen during the the Trump administration. We were a little busy, uh, <laughs> but uh, found it shortly thereafter. And and I think I binged maybe somewhere between thirty five and forty episodes <laughs> during on a couple of road trips. Uh, subjected my family to it. So good. Um, who you know the kids were like, what? I don't understand. <laughs> um, but the wife loved it, and uh, I've been a been a fan ever since. I mean, that's enough for mind control. Thirty five or forty. Uh, episodes of the variety yeah, I think program by then we we've gotten the message in yeah <laughs> we make it in pretty thick at that point listen you uh did incredible work in the administration on a whole bunch of thorny thorny issues why don't we start with immigration because i know that that's the one that continues to make tons of headlines now basically because the biden administration took zero of your advice and decided to reverse all the things that were working and now find themselves in a hell of a problem. It's not surprising to you, I bet. Uh, it's not surprising at all. And, and most people do start in immigration. And I usually, I usually back it up and say this is, um, it's, it's part what was, what was great serving under President Trump and also frustrating all at the same time. 
uh, he would get a hold of an issue like immigration, which has really plagued the country for decades uh, over d different administrations, right? I served under Bush, wasn't in the immigration space, but even President Bush and President Obama made small tweaks and changes around the edges. Mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't want to really tackle the hard and difficult issue because it's because it's hard and difficult. It's hard and difficult, right? People say Social Security is the third rail of politics. This this may be like three and a half or four, <laughs> right? Right. Where people feel very passionately on either side, and, and you're going to upset the apple cart here a little bit. Yeah. And most politicians will say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm really not going to wade into that. President Trump said, we're going all in. Yeah. We're going to go all in because it's broken. And as a businessman, he wanted to fix something that was broken. And so we started thinking about and doing things that others had never done before. Mm -hmm. And they would look at you go, how, how could you do that? And our answer back to him was, how could you not do that? How could you not want to fix something? You know, I didn't get into public service or leave the private sector and subject four years of my life, to, <laughs> you know, which was very difficult just to make some improvements around the edges. We wanted to do something consequential at the end of the day. And so we weren't going to take, well, we weren't going to take no for an answer. Right. Um, when Congress in 2017 and 18 said, well, this is too difficult. We can't pass anything. Sorry. We said, okay, well, that, that really sucks. Uh, it's kind of your job to do this. But, you know, if you can't do your job, uh, then we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to look at the authorities we have, and we're going to actually do something that, that helps the American people. Yeah. Um, and we'll take flack for it. That's fine. That's our job. We've got thick skin. Um, but we're not going to sit around and admire the problem and say, really, I wish I could fix that. And to me, I think that's one of the most ironic things about the Trump administration, their approach to immigration, where we had the media demonizing them as saying, oh, how could you people be doing this when it is actually incredibly humane yes. to maintain a border and, and, and have a safe border, unlike now where basically you've sent the message out to coyotes, human traffickers, that it's a free-for-all. And, and this is a message that you're hearing from uh, illegal aliens at the border themselves that under Trump, the message was, you know, don't even try it now. I mean, it's just get a coyote and, and, and get smuggled over. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and find yourself in a terrible position. I mean, you guys thought outside the box, too. You know, remain in Mexico. I mean, the stuff, the stuff that you guys came up with solved and, the problem. And we were called all sorts of names, right? Yeah. You can imagine, uh, because people, uh, and certainly the left, wanted to paint us that if you didn't let everyone into the country, regardless of whether they had a valid asylum claim or not, if you didn't let them into the country, somehow you were inhumane. Somehow you didn't care about them. Somehow you weren't passionate about them. And that's just wrong. Yeah. Uh, what is inhumane, and I'll say it to this day, is the current administration, mm -hmm. where they are selling lies to individuals to put your hands in the in the hands of coyotes, pay that five to twelve thousand dollars, your life savings in, in many instances, only to get smuggled, to be raped, to be killed, mm -hmm. um, knowing that you will not qualify for asylum, knowing that you will need to be removed from the country at yeah. some future date. And they know this. They have the same stats and, and statistics that I have. They know this. And yet they just they put their blinders on and they say, well, I think it's going to benefit me at the end of the day mm -hmm. uh, to bring these individuals into the country. And look, that's just what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, held it with everything else to American communities, to Border Patrol agents, uh, to everything that's going on in this, uh, this, this, you know, pitiful system that we have now. Totally. So so. Look, I got to imagine there is a there is a difference between, you know, getting the news consumption of what we see in terms of border trouble and actually being in charge <laughs> and the briefings that you get. Yeah. I mean, how scary of a situation is this? It's bad. 
it's not good. Um, you know, I think the left would want want you to think about the border as the it's a bunch of families and children coming across that border, and they're they're here to seek a better life. And in many instances, that is true, but certainly not in all instances. Yeah. What you do have along that border are some very very bad individuals yeah. uh, that are exploiting the system, that are getting across that border every single day to do very bad things here in the United States. It could be it could range from anything from just you know human trafficking and child exploitation, which is bad enough, yeah. to really really bad terrorist, uh, you know, planning and plotting and doing some very very bad things, and you see it every single day coming across that border. When you have upwards of seven to eight thousand individuals being apprehended along that border, and probably another two thousand that get away that we never apprehend, right? So think about that. So you have two thousand folks a day that Border Patrol never sees, never apprehends, but we know they're there because we have radar feeds, we have camera feeds, we see them come across. We just don't have the assets. Mm-hmm. These are two thousand individuals that are able to pay the cartels more money to smuggle them across in places that they know Border Patrol is not. Yeah. So why are they paying them more money? Well, they don't want to be apprehended. They don't want to be caught. They don't want to have an interview with a law enforcement And they have the agency. resources to do it, unlike the everybody else right. who actually may be trying to seek a better life, right? That's I mean, exactly right. These people, if you have assets, that's likely not your motive. It's certainly not your motive. Right. And, and you know, I think it's important to remember these uh, cartels are very, very sophisticated. You know, I was just down on the border and the Border Patrol agents were saying they see about 100 incursions a day from drones. From the cartels, no kidding. kidding. So they're not only dropping dro- dropping drugs and and contraband, but it's also surveillance. Huh. Um, so you no longer need a coyote sitting on a kind of a hilltop with a pair of binoculars any longer. Yeah, that, these guys are actually that, unreal. Yeah, so it's a sophisticated organization, and I often talk about at least during the four years, this is a game of of whack a mole in some cases because every time you put up a new measure a new procedure or a new policy in place, the cartels, you know, it'll, it'll stymie them, but then they'll figure it out and they'll pop up somewhere else doing something else different. So it's constant that, you know, the game at the fair where it's the the whack-a-mole. The one thing the cartels want is predictability. And the one thing the Biden administration has given them is predictability, Mm -hmm. which is we are not doing a single thing, Mm. not one single thing to deter your operations, to disrupt your operations, to make you move to different parts of the border. Not one single thing. It's been the same on that border since day one of this administration as it is today. Yeah. Well, and what's I find so amazing now you look at the summit of Americas and Mexico refusing to participate with Biden. I was like, you know, who to guess that the guy who campaigned on having Mexico pay for his wall would have a more productive relationship than this administration would. But it's true, demonstrably. A hundred percent. So you had the vice president talking about the root causes of migration, I think. I guess she's still on that. The one country that can actually stop this flow is Mexico. And what do they decide to do? Not to come to the summit. It's amazing. But yet you have Biden officials at the summit talking about irregular migration. Well, that's fine. But your one partner in this fight is not there. <laughs> You're talking to the one the yeah. bunch of people who have nothing to do with it. Absolutely. Because <laughs> they have no relationship. They have no strategy. And if you're the president of Mexico and you have the United States and in press reporting, I'm hearing you have the United States leaning on them to do more and more. You're looking north and you're saying, what in the hell? Why aren't you doing your job? Right. Why aren't you enforcing you know, immigration law on your border, which would make it easier for me to enforce it in Mexico? Instead, you have this order, open border policy, which is just incentivizing and attracting these individuals through Mexico. So, yes, now my job becomes 10 times harder because of what you're doing in the United States. It's incredible. And so this is this crazy logic that they have that says I should keep my borders open but let me lean on Mexico and Central America to close yours. 
It's it's I, I don't understand. It's a, it's a broken strategy. You know, well, do they? I mean, I don't even think they care, right? I mean, it's, it's it seems like the Biden administration. I mean, first of all, when you make Kamala Harris your czar, uh, <laughs> and she goes like thirty miles away from the border and yeah. says, uh, "Mission accomplished." It, like that told me right away what they thought about this problem. But it seems to me like they'd just rather ignore it, right? I mean, have you seen anything that would give you the impression that they're not anything but unserious about this? No, that's exactly right. I think that they want it to go away. Yeah. And I get a, you know, a lot of questions and people get a lot of frustrated and they say, well, only one network is covering this. Mm. Why, why is it that we only see this on Fox? And I kind of go back to what I, I told some of the folks at DHS when we were, I thought we were doing a good job at DHS and some of the other networks weren't covering our, what we were doing. I said, this is how you know you're winning. When the other networks, NBC, CB, you know, you know, you know them well as I do, when they don't cover the issue, it's because they can't defend it. Yeah. They've got nothing to say about it. They can't, they can't, you know, roll out someone that says, yeah, this is the right thing to do because they know that the viewers watching are like, no, this is really bad. Um, and so I, I think in some respects they've, they've given up. They, they don't know what to say about the administration. So they just refuse to cover it, which I think is, does a disservice to the American oh, people. Oh, it's just a sad indictment. So you said you'd gone down and visited with uh, law enforcement individuals along the border. How has morale changed from the Trump administration to currently where, I mean, they, they, this administration demonized them, accused them wrongly of, of whipping, whipping and, uh, uh, migrants from horseback. Yeah. It's as bad as you can get. It's, you know, it's in the dump tank. I'm trying to think of other uh, phrases to use. You have, uh, we have retention problems. You have hiring problems. You have folks that are taking early retirement because they're saying I've had enough. When you, you staring this, this issue 15 months or more now, in the face every single day. You live in these communities as a Border Patrol agent. You go to work every day. You bring that work home with you every day. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, please, someone find me a solution. Um, and every day you keep hearing from political leadership in D.C. is, yeah, borders closed, right? Secretary said this. Borders closed, the border's secure, and we have operational control over the border. All three of those are lies. All three of those are, are not anywhere close to reality. And so if you're a line agent and you're saying, what's going on? So we have the highest suicide rate among Border Patrol right now oh, than we've geez. ever had. Horrific. We have the most attacks on Border Patrol from cartel members and others because they know that this administration is not serious about border security. We had the least amount of attacks on Border Patrol agents during the Trump administration because they knew better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They knew that, you know, that wasn't going to that wasn't going to fly. Yeah. Well, they were empowered. Right. Right. And so I think it's, it's bad all around. Uh, we need good people to stay there because. Uh, uh, name is appropriate. The cavalry is coming. Um, (laughs) And so we need good people to stay there. You don't want everyone to leave the Border Patrol. You know, I've heard people say, well, they should just all walk out. Well, that's a good, maybe symbolic move, but it's not good for the American people at the end of the day. You need competent people down there doing their job, but they need leadership and will from their political leadership, and they, they get none. They have none. And I often talk about it. If you're a Border Patrol agent, you have a tool belt, metaphorically Mm -hmm. speaking. Well, they actually have a tool belt. <laughs> yeah. And you have a bunch of tools to do your job every day. And slowly but surely, every one of those tools has been taken out of your tool belt and thrown in the trash can. Mm. So you wanted an effective border wall system? Well, we, uh, we threw that away on day one. You wanted to remain in Mexico or, or uh, MPP? That's in the trash. You wanted the asylum cooperative agreements, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador? That's in the trash. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And the only thing that you have left in your tool belt is Title 42. It's yeah. the only thing you have... Uh, for that that border, as bad as it is now, would be blown wide open. Yeah, uh, that's the only thing you have left, and you hear your political leadership saying, "I'd like to get rid of Title Forty Two." And so, as a Border Patrol agent, you're like, "What in God's green earth are you guys looking at?" 
what what are the data sets that you're looking at that says this is a good idea oh so it, it i mean it's bad it's it's <laughs> uh i'm not trying to sugarcoat it any but it's um yeah i mean it just know, sounds is, awful yeah and so when we talk about sorry and we talk about a caravan arriving because that's in the news right yeah. Fifteen thousand person caravan and people are like oh my god that's terrible that's every two days Every two days, we see a 15,000-person caravan wow. at our border. It's not just one time. It's not a one time where you see images of 15,000. Every two days, that's how many people are coming across that border. That's wild. I mean, tell me this. You know, I imagine you got back into public service in, in the Trump administration for a whole wide variety of issues. Were you prepared for that? I mean, was that something that immediately when you start being briefed on that kind of offensive at the southern border... I mean, did you know this in coming in or was this like, holy cats, we got to think outside the box here? Well, it's funny because I came in uh, really not uh, knowing a lot about immigration. It <laughs> uh, was not my expertise. I was I was more transportation security and did other parts of Homeland Security. And so, as, as we like to say at DHS, immigration is just one yeah, of right. many, many missions of the department. Uh, and for a lot of my career, I was focused on other missions. But for a variety of different reasons, uh, serving as chief of staff of the department, you get to learn other missions. And so slowly but surely, you start listening to all the immigration attorneys speak. And you're just like, wow, this is really messed up. This, there's so many loopholes here. Why can't you hold a family longer than 20 days? Well, why would you hold them one day if you can't hold them past 20? Mm -hmm. Why would you put them in housing that's going to cost the American taxpayer millions of dollars? Right. Um, well, that's by design by the left. They have designed the system in a certain way that allows all these individuals in there. And so the more I started to learn about it, the more angry I got. I uh, say, we, you know, we've got to do something about this. This is about, you know, every community in America, right? We, we say every community is now a border community because what comes across that border no longer stays along that border. Mm -hmm. Opioids, fentanyl, human trafficking, everything that you see today is, is infecting every community along yeah. that border. Uh, or along in the country. And so this is about, you know, I've got I've got two boys. This is about public education system, public health systems, their public safety infrastructure, and having this number of illegal individuals coming in every single month, every single month. Last month, 234,000. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, that's the, that's the population of Richmond, Virginia. Um, every single month. That's really wild. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's a perspective I hadn't heard. So let me get, let me ask you this. You mentioned your background in transportation and security, transportation security and other. How did you get into this line of work to begin with? I mean, did, were you inherently political growing up? Were you inherently policy oriented? Get like, how do you get into all of this to where all of a sudden you're running the Department of Homeland Security? I like to say I, I stumbled upward uh, into this. <laughs> as, we all, as we all do, <laughs> as we all do, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know that my story was much different than, than many others. Graduate, lived in Texas, graduated Southern Methodist University, came up, started working on the Hill, Phil Graham, uh, yeah. and then Chuck Hagel, which was, which was interesting. Um, and then I uh, was on, on the Hill on 9-11, uh, and that had an impact on me yeah. uh, and said, okay, I want to do something. Uh, got the chance to go over to the Transportation Security Administration, which was created right after 9-11, was in the Department of Transportation until DHS was created in 2003 and then moved over into the department in 2003. This is all under President Bush. And so got exposed to a wide variety of, of different missions inside the department hmm. and, and really liked it. Stepped out during President Obama. Um, <laughs> Obviously. Um, so spent 11 years in the, in the private sector uh, here in D.C. Um, and then I got, a, I got a call from a couple of different individuals shortly after the election and they said, hey, are you interested in, in going back into the administration, particularly at the department? We need good people that know the department. I said, no, thanks. I'm, 
private <laughs> sector is good. <laughs> you know, I've got two small, you know, they weren't small at that point, but they were, you know, Kids. formative years yeah. where you want to spend. And I was, you know, the T-ball coach and I was, yeah. you know, I was at that point in my life. Right. Um, and then, you know, a couple calls later, three calls later, it was okay. I'll take a 30 day hiatus from my job and I'll, I'll go in and help you guys set up the department. Well, then that led to the, you know, another position, another position, another position. <laughs> and so I started off as the uh, chief of staff at, at TSA because I, I knew transportation security and about two months, three months in, they're like, okay, we think your skill set could be better used at, at the headquarters. So let's bring you up. And then about 30 days after I got there, uh, uh, John Kelly and, and Kirsten Nielsen at the time jettisoned to the White House to do do jobs over there, and so I evidently became chief of staff to the department. Um, so you're like, this is, this went really quickly. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is interesting. Uh, my wife's like, you don't know like, half of the department. I'll fake it. I'll fake. I it. will learn it. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll figure this out as we go. Um, so it was a wild, you know, couple of years, and at the same time, so I wasn't, I wasn't a, uh, on the campaign. I wasn't a Trump person on the campaign. I admired from afar um, and thought it was great uh, yeah. when he won because it was going to be a shakeup, and we needed something different. Um, and so, you know, adjusting uh, to briefing individuals like Senator Graham and Hagel and and other folks to <laughs> Trump. President Trump, uh, a little different. Yeah, a little different. Not gonna, not gonna lie about that, uh, but. After you get past the shock and after you get past like it's really different, it was also really refreshing. He, he asked questions that nobody else has. And he didn't give it he just didn't give a shit about excuses. Right. You know, you know, I'd have people go in and, and talk about oh, here's why we can't do that. I was like, guys, I wouldn't I'm gonna I'm gonna just tell you right now, probably don't do that. <laughs> he doesn't care. And and rightfully so. Yeah. He just is like, figure it out. Figure out a way to get it done. Yeah, and so he's challenging you in many respects because the easiest thing in government to do is say no, no, I can't do that. For you know, here's six laws or here's six reasons why I can't do it. Yeah. Let's get creative. Okay, we may not be able to do it that way, but we may not be able to get you 100, percent but we can get you 85, percent and that's going to be better than zero mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day. So, you know, I I would come out of briefings and be like, okay, well, that's interesting. Let's figure out how to do that. Other people would come out of briefings and be like, oh my god, I can't believe what just happened in there. I was like what that we actually have a mission now we can actually go right. do stuff we've been empowered i've got commander's intent from the president of the united states to go do a job what more do you want that's pretty good yeah that's pretty good yeah, i've heard that from a lot of your of your colleagues in the administration is that there is a an element of shock about what it is like breaking of protocol in terms of the directive but then ultimately you walk out and you're like I think I got a blank slate to do whatever I want to get the job done here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, this is great. And you've got other people in that meeting who said, you know, you walk out and you're like, did you hear the same thing? They're like, yeah. I'm like, fantastic. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. And so you get back into the department and people are like, oh no, sir, you can't do that. I say, that's fine. Let's, let's go across the street and, and tell the boss we can't do that. <laughs> you first. <laughs> nah, we're not interested in that. Okay. So, so one downside, though, of, of working with the Trump administration, working in the Trump administration, is for, I think, the first time, at least that I can recall, you saw Democrats radicalize in a way that you hadn't seen before, where they were calling on, uh, was it Pelosi who said, confront, uh, you know, uh, people in the Trump administration, wherever you see them. The Maxine you know, Waters. It was Maxine Waters yeah. who said, if you see them, get in their face. And you had your home protested as well. Yeah. So this, uh, this happened in early 2020, uh, we got involved, or I say the department got involved with some um, events going on in Portland at the time. 
where they were trying to burn down a courthouse yeah, I in mean, the I city think of Portland, if you remember it's so, that. It was so wild that it was like a controversial thing. Right. I mean, we were literally watching a great American city burn to the ground on a nightly well, basis. You know, and it's so great when you contrast that to what you saw on January the 6th. Um, if, if you back up to Portland, which was in, in 2020, when you had the seat of democracy in Portland under attack every single night, Molotov cocktails, IEDs that we discovered Good Lord. being, her- you know, and they, they got into the courthouse at one point and literally tried to burn it down. So you're trying to burn down the seat of democracy. Guess how many people said anything about that on the left? Yeah, zero. Mm-hmm. Zero. To the zero. contrary, anybody that was trying to do something about it. Oh, yeah. Had a so when we stepped up and we said, well, you know, my job, because uh, part of DHS, we have something called the Federal Protective Service, which actually mm-hmm. protects federal buildings, and they protected that courthouse. And so the Federal Protective Service, there was like four of them that were at that courthouse. Uh, they called one day and they said, uh, we're being overwhelmed. I said, well, what does that what does that mean? Describe what that means. They're like, well, um, we're getting beat up. Literally, you know, I had a bat to my head last night. Jeez. Um, I said, well, that's not going to work. I mean, it was like the Alamo. Yeah. Where, so, where, I mean, the, the, the mobs that they had out there. I remember the images in the video. It was unbelievable. We surged 130. Uh, this is after I, uh, I had phone calls with the governor of Oregon as well as the mayor who uh, those phone calls did not go well um, <laughs> when i i, like, we're, I, I we're asked good to, with it burning thanks yeah i asked them to do their job i said can you secure the courthouse you do have the state police you do have the local portland police i said you need to secure that courthouse and they said no 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 if we just if we we leave them alone they'll go away get out of here and i said are you that's kind of what i said i said i'm sorry are you serious <laughs> so mostly peaceful courthouse burning yeah <laughs> I said, well, I can't do that. That's, you know, that may be your view, but my job, I'm, I'm you know, I've got statutory responsibilities as, as the DHS, acting DHS secretary. I'm not going to let the courthouse burn thinks I'm going to send in 130 law enforcement officers. Oh, you can't do that. I said, sure you can. They were there, yes, you know, the day after. And they, you know, they lost their mind um, because they were actually doing their job. And they then. did their job and protected the courthouse. Of course they did. Of I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to me. I mean, the left's view of this is just absolute nonsense. Well, you can see it play out. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's basically the approach they've had in every American city. Yeah. So it's crazy. So it's it's on the heels of that. Then, then my house starts getting protested because people thought, you know, you had Nancy Pelosi calling DHS law enforcement officers in Portland, uh, the Gestapo. Yeah, oh, you know, I remember that. Stormtroopers. Yeah. You know, all these all these, uh, you know, descriptions that were just so over the top. Uh, I asked her to apologize. She she, she never got around to it. She impolitely yeah, declined. She never, she never got around to it. Um, and so you, I would have protests in front of my house, um, and it was, you know, it was, it was so funny because they would they would congregate about a quarter of a mile away, and then they would march in unison <laughs> to my house. But the people, you know, where they would congregate, they would they would drive up in their Volvos and get out of their Volvos and, and then and then come up. And then live march. It's yeah, not yeah, like a real yeah, march. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they, so, you know, they would come and, um, you know, do their thing in, in front of the house. And it, it's fine. Look, I have a thick skin, but not only did they cross the line in front of my house, right, because it's, it's your house, and I don't think anyone should be subjected to that. But then they started talking about the kids. Oh, my kids. man, are you serious? Yeah, about, oh, the, his kids go to school here. No. And, uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is like how out of control they were. Oh, that, um, that, that, that's another level. Of course it is. Of course it is. And so what got really great about, uh, you know, maybe three or four of these into it, I, I came, came back one time because we were never there. 
I mean, they're so bad at their job. They advertise on like a Facebook group, which is totally monitored. (laughs) I mean, secret (laughs) service is like, thanks. You know exactly what time you're coming. Like you got to be better at, at your job. Like you're going to be out grilling brats when they show up, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, this is how bad they are is they, uh, something came on, on this Facebook site. They're like, look what we did in front of Wolf's house, you know, and it says like Wolf is terrible and it's all written in like crayons. <laughs> they got the wrong street. It's the wrong house. It's the wrong house. <laughs> it's Poor one bastard. street over. I have to go over to my neighbor and apologize for, you know, his streets all jacked up in front of his house because they can't read numbering and, and streets. He was probably protesting his own house. Yeah. <laughs> so we get three or four into these and I come back and I find out that, um, you know, we've lived in this house for extended period of time, probably 10, 11 years by that point, that my neighbors on the left and the right of me have decided that they too are going to join in to protest my house. Unreal. That's just wild. And um, it, it, it went to a next level because it's like they hadn't, I mean, again, all they had to do was knock on my door because they, I mean, we had known each other. We had talked. All they had to do is knock on my door and say, hey, I, you know, really want to understand X, Y, and Z. I, I would have happy to have a conversation with them. Yeah. I mean, you're a reasonable guy. Right. It's not like and they've known you for 10 years. Yeah. It's not like you've had a problem before this. They lost their mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Trump, I'm broke, sure Trump broke them. Yeah. He, did. The thing. he absolutely did. And so I've been, you know, it's been a little pet project of mine ever since to uh, not, you know, I, I will. Um, I'll never forget. No. Never going to forget that. And so, um, you know. We'll see how they're. Sounds their lives like an go. agony to defeat yeah. guy. We'll find out in a minute. But that's what that sounds like to me. I understand that you had a construction project in back that I want you to tell our listeners about because this one killed me when you told me this. This is this is so good. Yeah, I try to keep it high level. Uh, we had a deck put on right after, you know, as COVID set in, we wanted to do more things outside and the, the house is a little bit elevated. And so we were um, standing on the newly built deck, great deck. Uh, but we could see into the into the backyard of one of the neighbors and I was like, that's not going to work. I, I, don't, I really don't want to see them uh, at the moment. <laughs> So I had uh, had the deck builder back over. I said, hey, I need a couple of options to look at. He's like, oh, yeah, I got this for you. <laughs> got this. He was a huge fan, by the way, of, of President Trump's. And he's like, I got you. Uh, so he showed me a couple of mock-ups, and I was like, yes, I'll take that one. <laughs> and so basically, it starts from the rail and goes up about five feet. And so in total, it's probably about 10 feet, maybe 11 feet high. Uh, and it's like it, it looks like a wall. Um, <laughs> it's like really tight lattice. You know, yeah. what you would see on a deck, it's appropriate for a deck, but it's and uh, and so I got this plaque. I ordered it uh, then, and that I put on the the back side of the wall, facing the neighbors. It says "Walls work." <laughs> I mean, that's the best. Absolutely, it is just so good. <laughs> Can you imagine the blood pressure in these in the libs next door looking at that? I mean, I mean, that's it's just so crazy to me. Is is with the left now for against neighbors like these are people who you've known for 10 years you're like no i'm gonna go outside and join the mob I, i'm not gonna have a discussion with someone i've known for 10 years yeah unreal yeah yeah i mean that's you know and it's to like you know again what we are a year and a half away from uh not a word has been spoken no um, that's just so, unbelievable and i don't forget these things no i can't imagine you do let me ask you this you may not have an answer because i'm sure there was a million different episodes like this but do you have like two or one or two or three moments that you can think of that were like the toughest day that you had over there? Oof, there were a lot of tough days. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, the Portland situation was tough. COVID was tough. Yeah. Um, trying to do all these things. 
you know, just very, very difficult. I'm trying to think of, you know, one, one bad day. It was usually, I mean, the worst days are when you have a, um, a law enforcement officer who passes. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we had a lot of them, right? So DHS is the largest law enforcement agency, not only in the country, but the world. Is that a lot right? Of people I don't know that. know that. Yeah, wow. they, we have about seventy-five thousand law enforcement officers, which huh. is quite a bit, spread across a lot of different agencies. And so, with that many, you know, things are going to happen. And so, particularly along the border, border patrol is a big part of that. Yeah. Um, and and people, uh, unfortunately, pass away for a variety of different reasons. So that was always very very difficult. Uh, I went to one funeral. It was very very difficult. It was uh, it was at the outset of uh, the situation in Portland. It wasn't in Portland. It was in Oakland. This was a, a contract guard uh, that DHS had contracted with who I was standing outside. I think it was the courthouse in Oakland. Um, and someone had come by and, and shot him. Well, like, I remember that episode. Um, and then they had protest. And it was kind of like the start of, of the George Floyd, you know, all the protesting going around. And um, I, went out, I went out to the funeral. Um, he wasn't a DHS employee. He was a contract uh, employee. But I thought it was important enough to go out. Um, to that funeral and, and they were uh, they were nice enough to allow me to give some remarks uh, I'd never met the the individual um, but you know he, he played a part in protecting that courthouse in Oakland um, mm-hmm. and didn't deserve what what happened to him and guess how many people on the left talked about it yeah no none zero mm-hmm. yeah zero they had no interest in talking about it so uh, that was a hard day um, you know but we had a, a lot of other a lot of other hard days you know 2020 was tough. We had immigration crisis. You had COVID. You had civil unrest. You had Portland. Um, you had the election. Um, yeah. You know, I had some some crazy folks uh, who worked for me that talked about election security and, and <laughs> other folks. So that was interesting <laughs> as the election got closer. Uh, and then when it passed. Uh, so, yeah, 2020 was. I got to imagine. But the funny thing is, it seems like you still got a lot in the tank on all of this. Right. I mean, you feel like you're, you're sort of still in the fight. Yeah. So it was interesting. So, you know, I left the administration, you know, shortly before inaugurate, you know, before uh, President Biden was inaugurated. And it was it was a long four years. Right. I had missed a lot of uh, my kids activities. Yeah. Uh, I think I missed an Easter. I missed a Christmas because uh, something was going down. And, you know, when you're the chief of staff or you're a senior executive at DHS, you know, holidays be damn like it doesn't that doesn't factor in yeah. like stuff, bad things are going down and, and things are going on and, and you've got to continue to work. And I, I don't think a lot of people appreciate that or really understand that. Um, and so after four years, my wife's like, great, thank you. I can't, <laughs> Thanks for your service. Yeah. Like Chad, <laughs> like, <laughs> let me reintroduce you to your kids. Right. You know, uh, they've grown a couple of inches since you've seen them last. Right. Um, and, and so I was excited about that. I was excited about, okay, you know, I'm going to get some semblance of a life back. And, and I did for a little bit. I, I stepped out and, and then I just started, unfortunately, watching sort of what was going on. And I was like, I, th- this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is terrible as much as I would like to take a step back. And that's right. That's usually what conservatives do. Yeah. And Republicans do. After an administration, those that serve in the administration, they're like, okay, I'm done. I'm going back. I'm going to go make money somewhere else and, and have a nice life. Someone else fight the fight. And the left does the exact opposite. No, they, they just in stay it. in it yeah. and, and go, go, go. And so after a couple of months, I was like, "This, I can't do this. I can't sit back and watch this dumpster fire happen. Hmm. Um, I think I have a voice. I think I have something to say about this, particularly as it, as it talks about homeland security and border security and a stupid disinformation board and everything else. <laughs> yeah. um, I've got a voice. And so I jumped, you know, back into it. And, you know, one of my, one of my sa- favorite, um, 
speeches that I, I used a lot, right, is Theodore Roosevelt, man in the arena. Mm. Uh, I had stepped out of the arena, but I felt like I needed to get back in. Yeah. Um, and so I'm able to do that. I'm with the America First Policy Institute now. Um, and so we've got about 140 folks, a lot of folks from the administration, taking the policies of the Trump administration. You know, you can think what you want to think about either President Trump or folks that served in his administration, but I think most reasonable Americans say the policies, yeah. whether it's economic policy, whether it's security policy, national security, it worked. Mm-hmm. And it was for the betterment of everyday Americans. And so we're, we're focused on those policies, taking them to the next level. No, it's great. I'm glad you stayed in it because it's important. And I've watched you uh, work your way through cable news and everything else. Yeah. You're incredibly effective voice on it. I hope you keep wailing away because yeah. we need it. Well, we, we certainly need it. Uh, I got three big questions for you. All right? Shit, you fire probably, away. Fire probably away. know what's coming, but your favorite meal. This is, this is the last meal on earth, right? The only time that you can sit and plan what your last meal on earth would be what would it be? Oh, my wife's going to hate this. All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be a combination because it's the last meal, right? So yeah. it's a combination of uh, Texas brisket. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and Tex-Mex. Washed down with a little cheesecake. I like that. Yeah. Are you it's, do, it's I, a glutton. That's pretty good. Yeah. And, and is this, so I've been told by a lot of folks when I visited Austin, you got to get the Tex-Mex. And, and to me, their definition of Tex-Mex is basically Mexican food with a can of cheese was just like four <laughs> Well, it's is not. This, it's not exactly I mean? that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to stick up for Tex-Mex. That's, like that's re- not it. Objection is coming. Yeah, that. That's no. That is definitely not. I mean, there is a difference between Mexican food or even uh, Central American food and Tex-Mex. You know, you put an Americanized flavor, but it's not cheese whiz. Are you gonna um, go with a margarita on that, or are you just? I mean, remember, you gotta slide in sideways. This that's is the last true. day. Uh, no, I, I'll go straight for the Tito's. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Just yeah. a. Just a glass of tea. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one. I'm not gonna feel good after that, but yeah, <laughs> you don't need to. Do it. It's yeah. your last one. Uh, all right, second question: If you never got into this arena at all, we're talking about public service, public policy, yeah. anything in the security side, and you have this great big hole that you can fill. Blue sky answer: What would you do? That's tough. I th- what would I do or what would I like to do? Probably what I'd like to do is uh, uh, be some type of professional athlete. There you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, Anything I, in specific? So I grew up playing tennis. Uh, dabbled in it in college a little bit as well. Um, so Cudlow told us he was going to be a professional yeah, tennis player. There you so go. There like. you go. So I uh, also play a lot of golf, uh, but not nearly at that level. But, you know, if I can dream, uh, that, that's probably what the dream would be. Uh, always enjoyed spending more time outside than inside um, and just kind of being active and feeling good about that versus, you know, sitting at a desk. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And it's that good mentality for a guy in your line of work to getting out and actually seeing what's going on. And there's something, uh, what I found is something very therapeutic about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, cause you know, many, many days you'd be frustrated to, it was either you could drink a lot, which I did, or you could, you know, try to, do something else that would kind of clear your head and you always felt better at the end of the day. So I was like, wow, what if you could actually do this all the time? Um, <laughs> there's nice probably, some, probably some stress to involved in that, knowing that, you know, if you miss a putt, you probably may not eat, but you know, whatever. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I like it. I like it. It's a good answer. All right. Final question. This goes to what motivates you, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Thrill of victory, glass half full, optimist, always charging up the hill agony of defeat person every success that they've ever had in life lasts like two minutes every defeat they've ever had they wear like a backpack and vowing not to ever repeat that yeah. right it motivates them 
to continue driving to try to achieve. Oh, there's no doubt. Agony. To yeah, I mean, I just, no doubt. It's like you, you, he basically answered this in the yeah. interview. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's That's not even an option, really. No. Um, it's just maybe the way I'm wired, yeah. uh, you know, growing up playing junior tennis and you hated losing. Yeah. You hated losing more than anything else. You win. That was nice. But you, you don't, you don't remember, even remember it. You don't remember the wins. You remember <laughs> the losses because the losses suck. Um, and you just carry that over into your professional life and you're just like, I just don't like to lose. Uh, it's so good. And that was a very easy read, Mr. Wolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love uh, it. I love it. So where can everybody check out your work today and keep up with you? Yeah. So you can go to the America first policy, America first policy.com. Uh, good website there. Um, I'm also on Twitter and, and all that good stuff. Um, we're also suing Twitter and Facebook and all those folks. So God bless you. Uh, there's, there's that. That's always fun um, <laughs> to get. But yeah, you, you, can, you can check out me or any one of our colleagues. You know, we've got Larry Kudlow's at America First Policy Institute. Uh, we've got Brooke Rawlings, who uh, ran the Domestic Policy Council, uh, Director Radcliffe. We've got a whole host of folks that served in the Trump administration. And they all said, like I did, they raised their hand and said, I'm, I'm still in the arena yeah, uh, because there's still more work to be done particularly when you see the, the, the S show that's going on right now. No kidding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can say shit on this yeah. show. It's, it's a shit show. Yeah. It's we, a we, shit show. <laughs> Listen, this has been fantastic. Yeah. Keep us updated on both on what you're working on and as developments go on in the Biden administration that you think are absolutely as fucked up as they could get. Come back on, tell us about it. Tell us how you'd solve it. Yeah. Hopefully one day we'll get the opportunity to fix these problems. I think we will. Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks so All much. Right. Thanks guys. I love this guy. He's great. He's so smart, but he's also just a good dude, and he totally gets it. Super glad he's staying involved. Yeah, and also as a you know loyal listener of the show, yeah, awesome interview. You should just hang out. Yeah, you don't need to drop by just to be interviewed, man. Like this is definitely a guy I could hang out with. Totally agree. I think we did it. Absolutely. So if I may say so myself, another banger of an episode, uh, and. Our third of a triple header week. Yeah, big week. You know, outstanding work, gentlemen. Uh, so until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.